Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Justice League does for uniting the five, six, seven, I'm not sure. I'm Jack Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... Seb Patrick. And James Hunt. Uh, we'll skip the latest comic book movie and TV news this week, as we've been doing for the past month or so. We'll we'll, we'll update you eventually, guys, I promise. Um, and instead, dive straight into our spoiler-filled discussion of Jeff Johns' 2017 movie, Justice League. Is that right? I think that's the closest <laughs> to being right. But before any of that, I'm going to ask Seb and James to explain to me a comic book concept that as a movie fan, I just don't understand. And this week, I would like you to explain to me, for reasons that I'm sure will be very clear, um, is it Madrox the Multiple Man? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it is. Oh God, I'm so excited, you guys. I know nothing about him, <laughs> but I'm so excited. Tell me all about him. Why should I be excited? I've got to say, just before James explains about Madrox, that like of all the roles that you could give to, do I want to say his name or are we building up to that? Yeah, um, the, the Franco. All, all the roles you could give to James Franco, a role where there could be hundreds of him on screen at once is like the most James Franco thing you could possibly imagine. Yes. I don't know much about it, but just the idea of this weird superhero being played by James Franco, I kind of like, I'm disappointed that he's not doing this on like The Flash or something, because that seems like <laughs> something that James Franco would sign up to do, but that it would also be the wrong universe. But you know what I mean. <laughs> so... I mean, do you know anything about Madrox at the moment? No, right. So is he the character from X-Men 3 or was that a different guy? That was that was a cameo Madrox, yeah. Right. Although that was a very kind of old version of the character. Because like when he was introduced, his gimmick was he could create duplicates of himself and then later sort of, like, I think if he got hit, he created a new duplicate and if he touched the other duplicates, they got reabsorbed. Right. And at some point further down the line, they revised his pitch into every new duplicate has a different aspect of his personality sort of at the forefront. So like he creates these other duplicates and they might be like the, you know, coward version of him or the super intelligent version of him or the evil version of him. Um, and he sent them all off into the world to learn different skills. Cause that's the other thing. When he reabsorbs them, he gets their sort of experiences reintegrated back into him. Okay. So there was this kind of, there was this solo series where he was like a noir detective 
but also he kept encountering other versions of himself who were coming back and like depositing new knowledge and skills in him. Wonderful. This this all sounds it's great. It's just so James Franco. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a bit like if in Rick and Morty, like all of the different versions of Rick from all the alternate dimensions were just the same guy and they kept sort of coming back and being like, well, I'm done having my life now. I'm going to deposit my memories and experiences. And is the character an asshole? You. Like what's, what's his, what's his general vibe? Uh, not an asshole. I'm trying to think he's a kind of like Peter David wrote the, the Madrox miniseries and later the X Factor comic where he was kind of a wannabe detective like he's a bit of a loser, but also a kind of moral one. Okay. Like he's not hyper competent, but he isn't also he's not an idiot. Like it's a really kind of nuanced character, and like that whole comic was really good. Okay. So, are you guys are you guys up to date on the Flash, or are you are you either of you still watching the Flash? No, no, quite far <laughs> behind on it. Okay, so they've they've introduced. Elongated man this season. He's been in two <laughs> oh, episodes. Of course, they were doing that. Yeah, and the the performance is delightful. Um, I'm really enjoying the brief amount. It's the I don't know who the, who the guy they've cast, but he's like a young Jim Carrey, um, and it's it's super enjoyable so far. But like, it sounds like maybe that's a similar kind of character, possibly. He's not as jokey as Elongated Man, is he? Uh, really? He is He is quite self-deprecating, but he's not like... He's not goofy. He's not goofy, no. Right. Okay, so I it's... mean, he, the thing is, he might be goofy, but he doesn't play up to it. Like, he tries not to be. Um, should we talk about, just as, as a tangent to this, um, this kind of exciting new direction that Fox have pivoted into? Um, <laughs> which... I guess there was no, no one ever like stood up and started shouting about it. We didn't have Simon Kinberg or Lauren Shula Donna saying we're ripping up the playbook. We're we're going to take things in this new direction, but just quietly outside of the core X Men franchise. Kind of when we, I remember when X Men Apocalypse came out, and we were just like, "Oh, did it look for a hot second like X Men was going to be exciting?" And now we're back to this dross, and <laughs> and yet yeah, everything yeah. else that they're doing. They've done something that's really unusual for for a major studio, and especially for a major studio working in this genre, is they've looked at what worked and what <laughs> and was got it successful, right. and they've learned the right lessons. <laughs> that's and, exactly what I was going to say. And have decided to do more stuff like that without just copying what that is. Yeah, so, they watched so they, Deadpool they, and went, "Oh, and, filmmaker led, well. <laughs> yeah, like filmmaker led, like unique tone." Like, that's what works about that film, not the fact that it was 18 certificate. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, I'm not at all, from the look of it, I'm not at all interested in New Mutants. But the fact that they will have done Deadpool and then Logan and New Mutants and now potentially this Madrox film, it's like, yeah, not only is that learning the right lessons from the success of Deadpool and Logan, it's pretty much what the X-Men comics have been doing since, like, the 1980s. Yeah, exactly. Branching it's out like, into different genres. <laughs> it's the thing that ever since, like, Avengers came out and, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe came out, like, I've been sitting there going, like, why don't Fox realise they are sitting on an absolute gold mine of concepts? Yeah. And instead they keep trotting out the same, like... Let's do a line. Xavier Let's do versus Magneto, light sci-fi superhero. With interesting characters lost in an ensemble. 
Yeah, exactly. And now they're actually doing like, oh, look, we've got all these varied characters who basically can stand alone, don't require much setup, and can be plugged into a greater franchise. Like, finally. Is there the chance that Sony are doing that as well? No. <laughs> Why not? Because Sony haven't got the... I mean, Sony, Sony haven't looked at what's been successful for Sony and tried to do the same thing. They've looked at what's been successful for Fox yeah, but that's tried because, to do the same thing. Yeah, that's because nothing have, has been successful for Sony. <laughs> but they don't have the characters and concepts. Yeah, the thing is, what they have is a lot the of... X-Men world. They have a ton of Spider-Man offcuts, and all of these characters are defined in opposition to Spider-Man. Mm. Like... X-Men, the X-Men characters tend to be created as a team and all have their own sort of backstory and origin and ability to support a concept. And the fact that they're mutants isn't particularly interesting. It's just that's why they're in the X-Men franchise instead of the Avengers franchise. I I would compare what Sony are doing with Fox with what DC are doing with Marvel, which is, <laughs> oh, we like what you've done there. We want to do that, but we're not going to put the work into actually making it successful up top. We're just going to hope that the same approach will work for <laughs> but us. What if, what I, if would, Venom, I would what compare if Venom it with what Warner are doing with Harry Potter. <laughs> what, what if Venom is their Deadpool? That that's great. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I just think there's it will be. <laughs> uh, maybe uh, maybe we could be sat here in two three years time going like. Oh my god! I can't wait for this superior versus Spider-Man movie that they're doing. It sounds so exciting. <laughs> they're just they're just trying to do different things with every movie. You know, <laughs> maybe it will, maybe it will happen. Um, but yeah, hey, a James Franco on his own superhero movie. Um, I say on his own, a James Franco with James Franco and James Franco and James Franco <laughs> superhero movie. Do you know what I'd really love is if they cast Dave Franco as just one of the duplicates. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Okay, uh, so, hey, look, we got a little bit of news in there for you as well. Um, so that's uh, Madrox the Multiple Man, who I learned was originally almost called Xerox. What a missed tr- yes, trick that it was. was. <laughs> oh. Amazing. Okay, um, well, let's move on now to our discussion of um, Justice League. We'll start off with our spoiler-free discussion and then move into um, a spoiler-filled chat. We will flag the spoilers before we get there. Um, jokes aside, this was directed. Uh, if if what um, people at Warner Brothers and DC say is to be believed, about eighty to ninety percent by Zack Snyder, with about ten to twenty percent of the film being replaced or added to with Joss Whedon reshoots. Um, it it will be interesting to see whether whether that is actually the case. Uh, because I think maybe that this film is a shorter film than we would have seen if Zack Snyder could have directed <laughs> it as well. Because I I think maybe yes. ten to twenty percent of this film might be Zack Snyder's, but that we maybe lost a similar percentage from from uh, uh from the original. Might, might be Joss Whedon's. Joss Whedon's. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. That's hence my stumbling over that. Um. <laughs> So, guys, spoiler-free, what did you think of Justice League? Um, just just before we get started, um, don't don't include this bit in the podcast. But um, has, has the check from Disney cleared yet? <laughs> <laughs> just before we, you know, say our, our opinions. <laughs> oh dear! I guess that sums it up, right? Well, actually, no. I mean, that, that's that's just me making a crack about what what DC EU fans think because I, I'm I'm not going to 
go in and just I'll leave this to you, James. I, I'm not going to go in and just go. <laughs> this was terrible because it's not. <laughs> no, okay. It's not terrible. It's it's just there. It's it's just <laughs> that's the problem, of this isn't it? And all of this build up. It's just a film that's. I mean, I, I I don't often kind of talk about my opinions immediately after seeing them on on Twitter. If I know we're going to do the podcast straight away, but a phrase I used was aggressively mediocre. Yeah. And what I said was, you know, I don't think, apart from one moment, which we'll come to, which again I did talk about on Twitter, I said I don't think it does anything egregiously bad. You know, it doesn't have piss in a jar the way Batman v Superman <laughs> did, but equally, it doesn't have anything remotely interesting about it so let's uh, so you two obviously i hated batman v superman um i just thought it was an unrelenting mess you guys saw at least some merit in it so how does this stack up against batman v superman for you because i think we're all going to agree it's not as good as wonder woman that's obvious. It's <laughs> no, no. <laughs> it's better than Suicide Squad, and we don't need to talk about Man of Steel again. So, where does it stack up against Batman v Superman for you guys? I mean, it's definitely better than Batman v Superman for me. I'm not sure I had as much fun watching it. I I, that, I, I would agree with that. I think I think objectively, you cannot argue that it's a worse film than Batman v Superman. But I don't. After Batman v Superman, for all of its problems, I thought oh, it's going to be quite interesting to potentially rewatch that. I've got no interest in rewatch because this doesn't even have like set pieces that I would be interested. You know, little <laughs> isolated two minute sequences that I'd be interested to see on their own again. It's it, it's just it doesn't reach for for anything, and no. so it doesn't it doesn't fail at reaching for lofty ambitions because it it doesn't have. I mean, maybe it had them in an earlier version, but it doesn't. Or it, this film just feels like it's only concerned with getting in and out and staying alive, like <laughs> doing as just, little damage as possible. Exactly. I mean, there are yeah. like there are two or three things in it where I was like, oh, that was really good, and there are two or three things in it where I was like, that was terrible. And the rest of it is just like a mm. video game cutscene. But, uh, uh, but none of those, I don't think any of those bits were as good as the best bits of Batman v Superman, and none of the bad bits were as bad as the worst bits either. I, yeah. I think there's no, a definitely. sequence of about of about 20 minutes where it's about as enjoyable as, as any of these films have been outside of Wonder Woman, but... Even then, it's not like, oh wow, this this looks fantastic. You know, the the stuff that I think is good is usually when people are standing around talking rather than <laughs> anything yeah. that it does as a superhero film. <laughs> yeah, I so yeah, I I agree with you. I think it is, it's so obviously a better film than Batman v Superman because Batman v Superman is is a mess, but. Do you know what? I kind of wanted it to try and be more like Batman v Superman, and uh, that's it's a strange weird, thing to say. It? But yeah. I, I, I guess what I mean there is, I would have liked to see Zack Snyder at least be able to deliver a vision. Like, so uh, that might be a vision that I really didn't like. But yeah. these films had their fans; they had some fans, and. This film, I think, for anyone <laughs> oh boy, who enjoys <laughs> for this for anyone that ha- that enjoys the Marvel Cinematic Universe way of doing things, this film comes off as a pale imitation. And for anyone who has enjoyed the DCEU up mm. to this point, it's yeah, it's it's, it's a com- it? it's a compromise and it's a disappointment mm. because I mean I, I've seen kind of like 
and the, the the fan reactions to this is fascinating online. But you know, <laughs> DC fans saying like like blaming Joss Whedon for everything that's bad about the movie and going, you know, they've turned Batman into a quipper. And uh, yet, yeah, to, to to a degree, yeah, I came out of this movie going like I I didn't. I don't think that's an incompetent movie. I think it's I think it's fine, but I don't really feel like I know much about any of those characters or really want to see more of them outside of this movie. Because I mean like even even I think if I'd seen Wonder Woman in just this film, I'd have gone like she's fine, but what's what's her deal? What does she, mm-hmm. what does she want? What does she what does she do? Um there's there's just none of that really, and uh, I think a compromised Zack Snyder movie, a bad potentially even a bad <laughs> Zack Snyder movie, is at least more interesting because we could have sat here for hours and hours and hours after Batman v Superman, and like agreed or disagreed or argued or tried to unpick that. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what we're going to talk about for the next hour or so. <laughs> we will. I think we I think will. There's, there's only. <laughs> What what is really striking is that it it does not feel like either a Zack Snyder movie or a Joss Whedon movie. Um, now, on, on the latter point, I'm still not sure what a Joss Whedon movie really feels like, but it just doesn't seem to have either of their DNA in it. And like the only point at which it really felt like a Zack Snyder movie to me was right at the start in the opening montage when. There's a bit they're showing how bad and this is kind of, this isn't really spoilers so I'm keeping it in this section but they're kind of showing how bad the world is after Superman's died and some thugs like some racist thugs are kicking over um, some stuff outside a shop and it's done in slow motion it takes about thirty seconds to show a bloke kicking over a stand and it's like oh, this is a Zack, this is a Zack Snyder film um, yeah. That's the only point that it felt like a Zack Snyder movie. And the bits when it was showing close-ups of Wonder Woman's arse did feel quite Zack Snyder. There was well. quite a lot of arse in this film, wasn't there? It really I swear to the God, difference between I'm, this and Wonder Woman. I'm sure I saw more of her arse than her face. Yeah. yeah. Like, even when she was fully clothed, like, even when she wasn't, when she was Diana, not when she was Wonder Woman. Yeah. Like, it took every opportunity to shoot from that height and that angle. It was weird. We were, <laughs> I had, uh, unfortunately, not the best view of this because I was like three rows back in quite a small cinema screen. Um, and so I was kind of like, you know, slightly neck craned for the whole time. And I was like, is it just where I'm sitting or is this film <laughs> shooting a lot of stuff from like very low angles looking up at the characters? And after a while, I was like, no, no, it, it definitely is. Um, and it was, yeah, I think it, it didn't help in that regard <laughs> I in, mean, in terms of the... There was a, the there was a point, actually, it. where I noticed that and I thought, I wonder if they're doing that to, like, emphasise the stature of these characters as, like, living gods. And then I was like, oh, actually, it's because if they do that, they can, like, get right under her skirt. <laughs> I don't know how I, I mean I don't know how intentional it is but I think you know it's just definitely very pronounced when you compare it to the way that Patty Jenkins was able to yeah. show the character and I did kind of I pointed this out in the in the trailer like almost every Justice League trailer has started with that leg sweep shot of Wonder Woman where you get a flash of her ass, and I'm like well we we never got that in the solo movie like just Never, I can't. I can't remember anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, this isn't a bad movie. 
It's it's definitely not a bad movie. It's definitely watchable. And I read a really uh, interesting review of this. Uh, a critic I really like, David Ehrlich, was talking about how kind of, yeah, it was like, it was kind of depressing as a Zack Snyder movie because it, it so clearly wasn't that anymore. And that it might... It, you know, it was kind of uninspiring and boring in its own right. I mean, there's, I've seen a lot of two-star reviews for this movie, which I think is a little harsh. Um, but I, I'd no, go two I, and a half stars. So I, I can understand I, I rounding would, down. I think, I think in the main, it is very solidly a three-star movie, but I think there are a couple of things which I do think drag it down, which are more for spoilers, but one is... Uh, the leaps the plot takes in the second half just to rush through. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's so obvious (laughs) that so much plot has been cut out. And it's not even in, you know, I never thought I would say I wish one of these films was longer, but it genuinely, it takes such a jump and skips out so much. Yeah, it it feels like it's going at one pace, Um, doesn't it? And then, like, in the last half hour, it's like, oh, that's that's the end of the fight. I was expecting to be lost in that CGI morass for about an hour. Yeah, totally. Which, you know, is in that context isn't necessarily a bad thing, but in terms of what actually happens, it absolutely is a bad thing. The other thing that I think is almost worthy of knocking a whole star off the film is the villain, who oh, I yes. think is very possibly the worst. Sorry, villain. was there a villain in this film? <laughs> yeah, it was a bad Vigo the Carpathian impression. It was, I mean, it's, I mean, again, we'll get into it in spoilers, but like, if your villain makes Malekith look good, <laughs> then you've really done something wrong. I, I, he didn't do a dance like Enchantress, though, so I'm still not sure whether he's the DCE's worst. <laughs> I mean, he did have actual lines, didn't he? Like, and he moved. Well, he that's wasn't standing yeah, in one place it wasn't, the like they, film. it wasn't like they completely ignored him. They showed him just enough to highlight just how crap he was. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, every time he spoke, his mouth was not moving in a way that reflected what he was saying. Like this is the thing. This is why I think he's so. <laughs> he bad wasn't the only one. <laughs> he's he's bad in in conception because choosing that villain rather than the obvious is. I mean, again, that's obviously a hangover from this was going to be two parts and you know building up to the bigger villain. But you know, he he's a non-entity as as a figure in comics generally. Um, he, he looks terrible and is executed badly and is then bad in terms of how easily they're able to defeat him. And okay, now I am getting into spoilers, but it's just like, he just I kind has of like no that. impact on anything. Okay. Should, shall we move into spoilers? I think we've, I think we've kind of given a, a decent reflection of what we think about this film. Um, and we should we should probably dig into the spoilers. I will say that in our spoiler section, I think we're going to do just as much discussing of the film as we are going to try and uh, pick apart at what maybe the film was before when it was just directed by Zack Snyder, what maybe the film was when it was going to be a two-part Justice League movie, um, what maybe we, the film is telling us about the future of the DCEU, what the box office might be telling us about the future of the DCEU. Um and all that kind of stuff as well. So, so, uh, don't worry if you watch this movie and thought, well, what are they going to talk, talk about? It's all okay. It's all fine. It's all, you know, there's a couple of moments we can dig into. We think, we think there's a, there's maybe a lot more to talk about in terms of the, the puzzle that is Justice League. We'll put that puzzle back I, like, together. I do think it's worth saying, like, I don't think we're going to just, like, chronologically slam every scene in the film because there's some good stuff in here that I think is worth, Mm. talking about yeah 
and especially in terms of where it came from, how it got in the film, and, you know, what it would have looked like without it. Yeah. Okay, let's move into it then. We will play um, a bit of the Justice League trailer for you now, one of them. Maybe one of those where uh, Steppenwolf <laughs> references the Green Lanterns, for example. <laughs> uh, that's not in the movie. Uh, so we'll... <laughs> oh, well, the line isn't, but the... They are. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We'll um so we'll we'll be back in a second with uh some Justice League spoilery discussion. like a bat. I dig it. Maybe temporary. Okay, you guys, I referenced the Green Lanterns just before we, uh, just before we got to the, uh, got to the, the break there. Um, should we talk about that? What's left of the Green Lanterns and kind of, I think what might be an interesting place to start is what what this hints about the future of the DCEU. The, what, what this the, hints the, is that is that for the second time, Warners have teased a Green Lantern movie that's never going to happen. So, <laughs> like, uh, are the Green Lanterns in the battle sequence? Is that where they are? In, I think, I think in the past battle sequence where yeah. they're talking about how the tribes of man united or whatever. But there, 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 is, there, there is, is one Green there Lantern. There is a Green Lantern who is basically... We, should we do an explainer concept for Joe? Yeah, do that, that Green Lantern is quite clearly Abin Sir, who... Is uh, he the guy at the start of the Ryan Reynolds Yes, he's Hal Jordan's predecessor as the Green Lantern of Earth. Now, it might not be Abin Sir, it could be a, a different predecessor, because it's quite long. <laughs> Who looks past, exactly like him. Yeah, But no, he is, obviously. So the, so the Green Lantern plot is that Abin Sir is 
the protector of the sector that includes Earth. So he's Earth's only Green Lantern, but people on Earth have never really seen him because he's never had cause to come yeah, to Yeah, also, he's not from Earth. Um, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's an alien. He crash lands on Earth, and his, so because he's on Earth, his ring seeks out Hal Jordan, and Hal Jordan becomes the first Earth-sourced Green Lantern. Yeah. Um, in this, what's obvious is that Abin Sir came to join in this fight because it was happening in his sector. He gets killed, his ring flies off to go and find somebody. Now, given that this is taking place thousands of years in the past, either there's going to have been a load of Green Lanterns before Hal Jordan or Jon Stewart or whoever it is, or that or the ring is going to just... float around for a long time trying to find somebody. Is it is it bad that I completely missed that? I just I just didn't see it when I was watching the film. I mean, did you do you not remember the giant green hammer? No, yeah. I mean, I, I get, and it, I, and, it, and it lingers on a shot of the ring flying. Yeah, off. it shows. I'm not sure if it's Steppenwolf, but it shows someone like doing a double take as the ring flies past mm. him. It might, it might it have been the angle I was yeah. watching at. I kind of thought because they were talking about gods, I thought that we were like seeing like Zeus and Ares and all that kind of stuff, and I just didn't. oh, they were in there, yeah. Yeah. See, I didn't see Ares, but then I saw David Thewlis' name in the credits. I saw Ares. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean that. I mean that sequence is. I mean, I'm not surprised that's in there because that whole kind of flashback and telling of could not be more explicitly Lord of the Rings referenced. You know, like it, <laughs> it plays like the battle that Kate Blanchett narrates at the start of Fellowship of the Ring. There's literally like, and one was entrusted to the men, and one was entrusted to like it's a it's a clear Lord of the Rings reference. And I don't think we ended up mentioning it. We got an email. Um, I have to to get out and find out who sent it. But uh, that was talking about all of the Lord of the Rings kind of little little beats and and references in Thor Ragnarok which of of which there were many um i just thought it was uh it was quite funny that within the last couple of months we've had two well the last the last two episodes even we've had two new releases that are like explicitly referencing lord of the rings um since, since you you mentioned that and the whole thing with the with the mother boxes being buried by the way i was not prepared for just how different they made the whole idea of the mother box from what it actually is in the comic. Well, let's dig I mean, into what what is it. I would it? have thought, especially given you know the way this film's come about and given the involvement of the likes of Jeff Johns, that they would have been going pretty closely, sticking pretty closely to the Kirby mythology. And they so, what's really the, what didn't. is what is that mythology, Seb? Well, so so mother boxes in in the Kirby New God stuff and in you know the stuff since, like there's loads of them. They're basically like personal portable computers and nobody really knows what they are or where they came from but they're kind of they're sentient like supercomputers who have a bond with the person who uses them and they basically are what provide the new gods with a lot of their abilities and stuff like they they enable and um, that's they're how they have you ever seen um the new gods using like boom tubes to teleport and stuff like that that's all done by a mother box and they contain information and they're just you know they're just incredibly powerful personal sentient supercomputers essentially yeah so i mean this uh, is this is one of the things there that... are loads of them they are they are not three ancient arcane yeah, objects they're not the triforce of they're to not the triforce basically called the unity which again <laughs> i mean i'm not the biggest um you know scholar of of the new god stuff but i don't believe that that phrase or that concept has anything to do with anything i mean it's weird isn't it as well because in in batman versus superman they showed like that, you know, when he had the snippets on his computer. Yeah. They showed the mother box and cyborg, and it and it and looked like it looked like they were going to be yeah, yeah. They, it looked like they were going to be the standard mother boxes, and then mm. yeah, you get this well, film and they're the Triforce, and you're like, incidentally, okay. I love how I love how Batman has video footage of the box creating cyborg, but doesn't know 
that that's where it is. <laughs> yeah, I tell you something interesting, actually. In the trailer, there's a shot of a mother box in Cyborg's apartment, and that's why the parademon comes to get mm. his father. Yeah, and that, I think that's one of the cut sequences is the whole the, the kidnapping of Cyborg's cyborg's dad it seems yeah. like they've changed they've at least changed something about the mother boxes be- between the reshoots because i think in one of the trailers steppenwolf is oh so it must have been the most recent trailer steppenwolf's actually like talking to the mother box and he's talking i think that's where he drops the reference of there's no lanterns protecting earth um no so, pre- so presume presumably the your theory is yeah that that ring is still out there and no one's picked it up yet um yeah, he says that the you know there's no lanterns protecting it, and says then some, says something like I will free you, mother. And I don't know if you've seen. There's been some some leaks online of some kind of like some of the cutscenes and some speculation about what those cutscenes were. And one of the concepts was going to be that the mother boxes were literally containing the essence of Steppenwolf's mother, and that's why they were called mother boxes. And that that was kind <laughs> of what he was trying to do was almost was almost free her. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, and also, I mean, so, you know, oh, we're in the spoiler section, who cares? Uh, that originally this was going to be Steppenwolf was going to take on the Justice League, fail, but escape with his life, and then go to Darkseid, and we'd literally see Darkseid, and Darkseid would kill Steppenwolf for failing him, and then launch his full-on assault on the Earth. Um... So yeah, I mean, there's clearly been a bunch of stuff that's changed, um, <laughs> and you know, you want you wonder where that stuff will will come back in later on if it does. I mean, so, so this film it's got the lowest opening weekend of any DC EU movie. Um, it opened to ninety six million, which is about ten million more than um, I think Logan, and about ten million more than uh, Doctor Strange. But kind Ouch. of less less than anything that was released this year, less than Wonder Woman, um, less than less than the three Marvel movies, um, and certainly when you compare it to Avengers, which when those characters were brought together broke records, uh, <laughs> you wonder what you wonder what the future is here, because literally this mo- this movie could end up making less money than the than the movie that had Wonder Woman on <laughs> her own, and this has got I mean- Batman, and we can now say it. And Superman in it. <laughs> <laughs> Just to, I mean, to, to, to jump right ahead to the very, very end, like that post credit scene in and of itself might, I might have quite liked, especially given that they actually show you Deathstroke without his mask on and he actually looks bright and stuff. But it's so arrogant to put that there because it's exactly what Green Lantern did. It's just like, we are definitely going to do a follow-up because this film is definitely going to do so well. And the fact that this film sets up two films that might not happen. I mean, there's more chance, I think, of Justice League 2 happening than that Green Lantern film happening. But, like, as much as I might (laughs) have liked that scene in isolation, it annoyed me so much that they thought that after the preceding two hours that they had earned setting up an Injustice League, you know? I mean, it sets up more than that as well because it's basically going, like, Okay, now we're going to do our Cyborg, Aquaman, and Flash standalone films. Hmm. Yeah, but they were already on the slate, so well, and, you know, and, and like Aquaman is, is being made. 
I, d- I don't mind them setting up Aquaman, even if they do it in such a ham-fisted way as to, here's a character <laughs> who you're not going to see again for the rest of this film, but come back for, for the Aquaman film. Um, <laughs> well, at I least that film exists, I think so we've, I didn't mind that. We were spared a lot more of that, because we were going to see Willem Dafoe um, as mm. Volko, I think. Uh, Iris West was cut from this movie. Kiersey Clemens, who was cast in the... Um, who was cast in the uh, solo Flash movie. But, I mean, that solo Flash movie now is presumably going to be something completely different because it's Flash, yeah. It's Flashpoint now. It's not... Mm. Um, I will say that I, I think the worst thing this film could have tried to do is to set up the idea of you being interested in coming back for an Aquaman film because, fucking hell, <laughs> I hated Aquaman so yeah. much in this film. I, mean, I remember always... saying to you on a on a recent episode that after all the stuff about him coming off quite well in the early trailers, and then it was that most recent trailer where I looked at it and I thought, actually, do you know what? I think I will still quite like Flash, but I'm starting to feel like I'm not going to like Aquaman. I don't know if that was kind of a preconception that carried into this, but I mean, I didn't personally. I didn't hate Aquaman. I did find the bit where he went to Atlantis absolutely tedious. And I, the only part I really liked the character and thought he was, you know, worth having in the film is when he, it turns out he's accidentally holding the lasso of truth or whatever. And yes, oh, that bit that, was quite that's good. a really funny beat, but and the rest of it, you're just like... that's got to be a like, Whedon scene, right? That has def- to be a Whedon scene. It can't not be, because like, without it, the character is just a dick the whole way through. It's just so you can imagine, Thor. Yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. Thor without any likability. <laughs> yeah, shit, shit, hairy Thor. And, and, and like, you can imagine Joss Whedon going, okay, I need to fix that. Any this is kind how I'm of do it. degree of character, character motivation she seems to have like disappeared in, in the cuts and the reshoots. So I'd like, presumably, I mean, again, one of the rumored shoot, uh, the Willem Dafoe scene was going to be Aquaman talking to Mira and Volko about kind of whether he should go and help the humans and did he have a responsibility to these people and 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 kind of talking about his role under the sea and his role on land and like you just think it might have been bad but at least it would have been an attempt at you know well, rounding out character motivations. There's that rumor as well, or there's a list of sort of cuts and changes that someone posted saying like this was Whedon, this was Snyder, and some of this was James Wan, but they said that. Apparently the scene of Aquaman rescuing that guy and like taking the whiskey was originally at the end of the movie in the montage. Right. And kind of, you can sort of see how that would represent an arc if Mm. he starts off being a dick who doesn't really care. And then by the end of the film, he's like, okay, I guess I'm a superhero now, but I'm going to do it in a way that's still Mm. a bit dickish. Like you can see how that would have been a thread, but there's just no semblance of that in the film itself. I gotta say though, out of all of this, so yeah, I, I, you know, Go through the characters. Wonder Woman, well, I liked her solo mo- movie, so I will happily see more of that character moving forward. Aquaman, really didn't care. There was just nothing to him. The Flash, yeah, I, I, you, you've got a take on that character, so that's fine. Ezra, you've, you've definitely got a take. You've, you've, it doesn't feel like the rest of the DCU. <laughs> I mean, I came out. I was, I was um, talking to my wife, my wife, on the way out, and um, every time, Joe, every time, <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> and um, she, and, and I was saying to her, it's amazing how the Flash, aside from two like thirty-second cameos, maybe not even that, has never been on the big screen before, and yet <laughs> we're at the point where 
fast powers look tired. Like, there was nothing they could do <laughs> with the Flash's superpowers because we've seen them do the Flash on TV. And, like, my wife, my wife, did it twice, um, said that she was like, I prefer, I prefer how they make him look on TV, even just with the, just with the speed. And I was like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I can't disagree with that. I think we've had two versions thing- of Quicksilver. We've had, yeah, it, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just like at this point, like, it's crazy that they've got to the Flash, finally, and it's like, here we've been there, done that. There's one thing that this film was able to do with the Flash's powers that only this film could have done, and it's one of the best bits of the film, which is when he's running around Superman and Superman turns around and looks oh. at him at the same speed as him. Yeah. That, is a <laughs> that was a great moment. moment. And I think that whole scene... Uh, let's talk about Superman. That whole scene <laughs> um, was... Whedon, I think. And I think that because that seems to be the scene that is being pointed out uh, as the moustache scene. Well, there is, there's a lot of moustache. I think some, no, I think some of that scene is still, uh, Snyder and some of it's Whedon. And the reason I'll tell you that is that, uh, there is a bit right at the end that is, forget the moustache that it, and forget, um, Aquaman with the cha- with this changing tattoos on the badly comped in background the bit that is the most obviously reshot is batman on the grass talking about his injuries because the grass yeah. is so obviously astroturf and the background is so obviously blue screened in <laughs> so it's obvious that they've recreated a scene that they shot with on the actual whether it's a location or a set and they've gone back and, and added in a few little <laughs> that bits. That is, that's the scene where Batman turns into Lego Batman for a couple of yeah. <laughs> lines. And that is, and again, it's, it's obviously, every time Batman makes a joke in this film, with the possible exception of the I'm Rich line, you can tell it's, it's one that Whedon's thrown in. And mm-hmm. even the I'm Rich line might be. I mean, the um, reason I think, the reason I think Snyder probably did that scene is I can't imagine Joss Whedon doing a scene where like, Superman's alive, holy fuck, everyone is scared. Like but that. You know that seems I, like no, a smart no, no. idea to me. I, 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 li- I like that scene. I yeah, mean, I, like, no, I like it's, it. It's, it's maybe the only time Snyder, if it is Snyder, that Snyder has done Superman in a way. I, that I, like. I mean, I like it, but that seems like Zack Snyder's thing to me. Mm. To see, be I, like I Kryptonians scene, are dangerous and terrifying. That scene encapsulates almost everything I like and dislike about this movie, or everything that works and doesn't work about this movie. Um, like you say, I love the flash bit. I love that. That gag visually, it, it reminded me of the Peter Parker scene, just the, the, like the terrified eyeballing of the person who <laughs> at that point in the movie anyway might be the villain. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think like it's one of those scenes where yet again, Batman gets left behind because he's got no place in this movie. Uh, this version, <laughs> this version of this character is constantly being left slightly behind and then catching up. Because he did doesn't, you, he doesn't really suddenly, have a purpose. Did you suddenly think, part way through the film, as I did, that Batman was going to die at the end, and that that's why Ben Affleck's been being coy in interviews about coming back? Because I suddenly got a feeling that they might actually kill him off, and, no. and that, that his arc for this series of films was complete. I, d- I, d- no, I mean, it never crossed my mind. I mean, that would require the film to have actual character arcs. <laughs> so, I just, I. I just don't think this version of Batman is interesting. I don't think this, the setup for the character moving forward is interesting. And I don't particularly want to see right now. I don't want to see a Batman movie that exists in this universe. I'd rather Matt Reeves start again with a different actor and do something completely different. I, and mean, I don't know whether I that'd be of... frustrating for, for viewers, but. 
it says a lot that they've retrospectively decided that this Batman is the Burton and Schumacher films Batman, doesn't it? Yeah. Like in, or, in order to graft a history onto him, they basically <laughs> said, "Oh, he's that Batman that you know from those." Early I mean, films. I sort of, I sort of do like Batman as like the grizzled old crime fighter, finally sort of ushering in a new age of superheroes. Like, I think that's an interesting way to use the character, but at the same time. I don't think they go far enough with that if they're going to do that. I think what doesn't work about him is that because of all these changes across these movies, he doesn't feel consistent. It feels like the Gotham approach of what if we do a little bit from this and a little bit from that and a little bit from that. And I do wonder that kind of what you said to me before, guys, is that like you can do so many versions of Batman that are right. I wonder whether a hodgepodge of those different versions is the version that is wrong. <laughs> you know, like how can he? How can he be the Frank Miller Dark Knight Returns <laughs> Batman, but also the Joel Schumacher Tim Burton Batman? It just it just doesn't make sense. And I just about halfway through this movie, I just I just didn't care. And like I I I and I quite liked. For all the things that I didn't like about Batman v Superman, I quite liked Affleck. I thought Affleck was just—he's just not a wisecracker, dull. is he? Well, right. and, and like it just even in the scenes where he's like walking around chatting to Alfred in Bruce Wayne mode, I was just—I was like, I don't want to spend time with this guy. I just the I last just the last few the last few months have been tough for for those of us who are actually quite inclined towards liking Ben Affleck, haven't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, I mean it's it's true. It's, yeah, yeah. He just he just doesn't want to be there, and like, yeah, it's. it's I like, mean, dude, I, you're you're playing Batman. Come on. I just don't. I don't believe for one second that he's going to be in those Matt Reeves, Matt Reeves movies. No, I mean, the rumor not. the rumor out there is that Jake Gyllenhaal has been lined up, which I don't really see either. I mean, I really don't. I love Jake Gyllenhaal. I don't see it. Um, but. Uh, whether I be- whether I believe that or not, and I, I'm inclined to say I, I probably don't. I I just I just don't see Ben Affleck being a part of this universe after this. I ca- it's it's not worked. Um, other actors, Henry Cavill, for example. Um, I think. Yeah, let's come, I think, let's come back to Superman because yeah, I think I this think is they- the third film in this universe where I've had to talk about this version of Superman in these films. With a sort of, well, Henry Cavill could be a really great Superman if, they, if, <laughs> if only they'd let him actually be Superman. You see, so, I think I think they pulled off the pivot at the end. I think, yeah, I, think, I was no, going to say, I, I think yeah. by the end of the film, finally. I can, no, but I even I even think I, as as I said before, like I really like the scene where he comes back and and he's actually fighting them because it's like, oh, thank God, Superman's back. <laughs> but when he actually comes back, in I mean. Let's maybe skip over the stuff at the Kent farm because, again, that all that stuff, all the stuff with Lois has obviously suffered so badly from the film being hacked together. And, like, again, I don't understand how they've managed to have Amy Adams as such a bad version of Lois Lane, but they have and we're stuck with it. But as soon as he t- turns up in the costume and they've deliberately made the costume look brighter mm-hmm. and he smiles mm-hmm. and you're like, fucking hell, finally. And then he completely obliterates Steppenwolf in about three seconds and you're and like, oh yeah. I loved, okay. loved that throughout the whole film. And so I think this is something that we've lost from the Snyder version, which I think really would have worked in the Snyder version. The rumour was that it was going to be basically Batman says, we've got to resurrect 
Superman. And the arguments I had, I think we're, I think we're going to come back to those arguments. Um, and basically Batman says, look, I had this vision, which is his vision from, uh, Batman v Superman, his dream, mm-hmm. his night, his nightmare dream or whatever. And I think if we don't resurrect him, Steppenwolf will, and we don't want him to use a Kryptonian against us. So that's why they wake him back up. And so then when he wakes up and he's a threat, it may, or potentially a threat, it makes more sense because like it, it is this like, Oh God, which way is he going to go? Is it the same guy as before? Um, and I really like that. And I do like that scene because that scene just, I think that I, I've, I've not believed at any point in any Superman film, really, that Superman is as powerful as he feels in this film. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that is a, that is an accomplishment of this movie. And do you know what? The one film that I want to see more than anything else coming out of this movie is Man of Steel 2. <laughs> yeah. And no, I would, I would agree. And it's like, you know, I would have come out of Man of Steel never, pretty much not wanting to see another film with that version of Superman. So for me to come out of this film and actually go, oh, wow, I can't wait for the next Superman film. Well, I can't wait to maybe putting it a bit strongly, but I would like to see where this Superman goes next now. Especially because I want to know what the hell they're going to do about Clark Kent coming back to life. Um, <laughs> but... Trapped under rubble. <laughs> yeah. If they do that, if they actually do that, that would be amazing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's like... It, 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 he was just right. I mean, he, was, he only got about five minutes of getting to do anything, but it, it just I just immediately felt that, that Superman was there and was actually Superman. And even with the dodgy CGI lip, um, again, Hen- again, Henry Cavill just, just is Superman in a way that Ben Affleck isn't really Batman. Just, uh... I know that's become the meme, by the way, the, the lip. Did it... I It really didn't bother me. And I, no, it I'm... did massively bother me. I wonder whether, especially given that I missed the Green Lantern, and especially given that... And I was specifically looking at his lip. I'm wondering whether I shouldn't have had that second beer before I went into Justice League. <laughs> I, I said, to, like, I showed showed a picture to my friend, and she was like, that doesn't look like Henry Cavill. And I was like, it doesn't look like a person. Like, it, in action, it just look It's worse than a computer game. Wait, so where where was his lip replaced? Was it was it? it so I know it was in that. <laughs> Basically, every time he appeared, as near as I could tell. Maybe that's it. Maybe I was just normalised to it. I really, I really lost the distinction between CGI face Cavill and non CGI face Cavill. Yeah, I mean, it does it does stand to reason that you know the the Cavillness of this movie is what the reshoots have been. Yeah. Um. I mean, I do quickly. I want to talk about. Where, like you were mentioned, you mentioned Batman's vision from Batman v Superman. Yeah. Do you think the Flash coming back in that film and going, "Lois, Lois is the key," was supposed to be something for this film? Um, uh, no, but I think they've worked it into that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it just—it seems to me like <laughs> Superman was supposed to come back evil, and then he was going to go, "Oh, Lois is the key." She'll make him remember he's not evil. Yeah, potentially. I think, yeah, I I think, okay, we're going into wild, you know, speculation and, and hypothesis here, but let's assume that if this film was originally going to be split into two, my assumption would be that 
final act of the first film, they bring back Superman and he's bad and they have to fight him. <laughs> and they pretty much almost get defeated by him. And the way that they resolve that is to send the Flash back in time to tell Batman to get Lois or something. Maybe, maybe Lois is actually dead at the point that he goes back in time or something, because that's never been done in a Superman film before. Um, <laughs> something like that. That that makes sense to me as maybe how it could have gone and, and why that would have been in, in Batman v Superman in the first place. Because mm-hmm. as it stands, that scene has no place whatsoever in, in the timeline of this film or these no, films quite. going forwards. They are doing a Flashpoint movie, though, so maybe that maybe the plan is now to retrofit somehow, continuity-wise. <laughs> but it, imagine how annoying it will be if, after finally bringing in a happy and hopeful and brightly coloured version of Superman, the next film has him turn into the version from Bruce's dream in Batman v Superman. <laughs> Uh, do you know it might just be it might be flash goes back in time creates some kind of dark future and you know the movie is rather than lingering on that dark future it's trying to you know it's him kind of jolting around and trying to get back to i don't know what that movie's going to be to be honest but like they've talked i i saw jeff john specifically reference like the inclusion of batman in it but like a thomas wayne batman so <laughs> it sounds like they are going to go similar close to the flashpoint comics in some regard but maybe i don't know maybe that's your opportunity to write ben affleck out you know you 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 create <laughs> some kind of different history for batman jake gillenhall plays thomas wayne yep <laughs> oh no wait thomas no we've wayne got is, uh, yeah, we've jeffrey got dean morgan. we've got jeffrey <laughs> dean morgan yeah uh I, I so i i mean that's the thing it's it, it will be so interesting to see what dc do and Warner Brothers do from here because they've got they've got some successes they have got I mean they've got Wonder Woman you don't throw away the shared universe Ooh, because I, you've I, got Wonder Woman and because you've got you know a couple of movies in the can that or a movie in the can com- that's coming out that's definitely part of this continuity but you also feel like you can't just plow ahead with this universe and with a Justice League 2 that's this lineup plus like a Green Lantern. That's just not going to cut the mustard, is it? No. No, yeah, definitely not. <laughs> but we've still got Shazam to come as well, of course. Yeah, but I mean, that's Shazam that I'm sure they could make freestanding. It doesn't have to tie into this. Um, I was surprised we didn't get I thought we were going to get some kind of reference in the in the flashback sequence. You could have quite easily had the, like the wizard Shazam in there, or, or some kind of lightning reference there. That I'm surprised yeah. they didn't go with. Well, again, I think that's I think that flashback scene has been chopped up as well. I think we were probably going to go more into that and see more of the details of it. And what we've got is kind of like a voiceover across the like battle footage. I think we would originally have seen a lot more of that. I, I think, you know, David Fewless is not credited in this movie because he turned up to film <laughs> some background stuff. He was he was probably supposed to have lines. I mean, it's um, weird, though, that they would cut more Wonder Woman stuff because clearly a lot of the reshoots were designed to bring Wonder Woman more to the fore. Yeah, and, and one of the ways they decided to do that was with this weird relationship with bruce wayne which i guess <laughs> well, i guess they did was Zack snyder kind of established maybe some kind of flirty romantic interaction between the two of them um and obviously see, they're I'm, the two that are bringing the team together but 
I, I I did actually. I quite liked. I think that I think maybe this is the kind of later scene where you think, oh, is this actually going to go into more of a potential romance direction? But earlier on, the sort of the friendship dynamic that they have. I think works quite well, and I think it's where definitely where you get most of Affleck's best stuff. And this ties into something that I wanted to say about about Wonder Woman and, and Gal Gadot, which is that before this, I remember when we were discussing one of the trailers, and I was being pessimistic about the film, and I said that I thought one of the things it would really struggle with was you know you had Wonder Woman where you had these two really engaging lead actors with a fantastic chemistry, and in this film you're only going to have one of them, and she's not going to be in it as much. Now, admittedly, nobody in this nobody else in this film is as as charismatic and engaging as Chris Pine is in Wonder Woman. But Gal Gadot has amazing chemistry with pretty much everybody she she shares the screen with at any point. Yeah. And yeah. and it's and like especially the stuff with Batman. I don't and I don't think it's Affleck doing the heavy lifting there. <laughs> but for whatever reason, like that's that bit where they're by the lake and they're just kind of dumping exposition. I, I enjoyed that stuff, yeah. and that then kind of leads into the finding the team stuff, which is I thought those are, about a period her, of about twenty minutes that it really works. Her um, her scenes with Cyborg were the only ones yeah. where Cyborg was actually interesting as well. Yeah, and even her stuff with Flash, which was mostly jokey, but yeah. that little bit was again one of the best Flash moments when he bounces the sword back to her, um, <laughs> and then when he lands on her awkwardly yes, and, and yeah. scurries up. Like there's just there's there is obviously something about her that she works really well with other people around her and just just has this really strong chemistry with them and is able to bring out better performances out of all of them and that arguably makes her an even stronger asset to these films than the performance of of Wonder Woman <laughs> I bet it makes did. Brett Ratner really upset as well <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes I think it, I think it's safe to say that that she is significantly more important to Warner's than than Brett Ratner at this point there's so there's only going to be one winner in that battle yeah um the the part of that that I, I i agree i like the friendshipy stuff i just thought it broke down a little bit when they tried to reintroduce flirtation in the middle and yeah, i also that, i also thought where, said yeah the yeah. scene that you have been tweeting about you might like to talk about um what the the kind of i think probably for you is the most egregious moment in this movie <laughs> i mean just yeah. before seb starts i've got a similar similarly egregious complaint but it's a okay. different scene so i'll go okay. next um yeah i mean it's uh, yeah for those who didn't read me talking about it on twitter um there is that bit where bruce basically tells diana off and whether or not it's rooted in in anything that's correct because i I think from a structural point of view of these films there is a valid question of where the hell has wonder woman been since the end of wonder woman and, and batman v superman given what happens in man of steel uh if you didn't have man of steel then it does make sense for her to emerge at that point but yeah anyway that is kind of a valid question but that's a question for the filmmakers not for her and to have a scene after the way that wonder woman is treated and presented in in patty jenkins film it wasn't just that there's a scene where batman tells her off because that's that's annoying enough as it is it's that and this should be said with the caveat that i don't know if it's been definitively stated or proven that the leaked Wonder Woman, Joss Whedon script excerpts are actually genuine. I think most people believe they are, but I don't know if it's 100%. So I, I will say this with that caveat. But one of the worst things about those script extracts were that there were lots of moments where Steve is basically telling Diana off. And that Batman scene had almost the exact same tone of voice. And so I don't know, again, as I said on Twitter, I don't know if that scene is a Whedon scene or a Snyder scene, but it was so 
it left such a nasty taste to have that scene after after you've had that Wonder Woman film where she is such a, a beacon of hope and one one of the best <laughs> like pure superheroes we've seen on the screen in a long time to have fucking Ben Affleck Batman turn round and go, well, you, where have you been? You're, you're wrong, bloody blah was just, oh, fuck off. <laughs> I genuinely thought, like, when he was going, like, oh, why haven't you been out there inspiring people? I genuinely thought she was just going to say, like, because your society is horribly sexist. <laughs> like, that's why. I have been, but no one's been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... I, I think it probably is Whedon because I think anything that specifically references um, Steve Trevor, yeah, well, anything that specifically references the Wonder Woman movie is reshoot we'll stuff. Come in later, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and it's like you say. I kind of they they dug a hole for themselves, didn't they, with how they included her um, mm. in this universe and. Uh, yeah, it, it's a shame, but I, I don't know what else they would have done. I mean, probably that they do it and play it differently in terms of the tone. Uh, but yeah, it, it just also didn't seem right for me that like Wonder Woman ends up arguing for not reviving Superman for reasons unknown to anyone. It's like, we could bring Superman back to life. Okay, cool. What, what are the risks? Uh, I mean, it's kind I mean, of like it's kind of like a last ditch, ditch attempt because we're kind of screwed if we don't. So we we probably just need to bring him back. And she just goes, "No, don't." Yeah, I mean, all, I, I do want to talk about. It serves is for her to be wrong. Sorry, I was going to say I do want to talk about the thing, the thing that I hate about Wonder Woman. But first, I mean, the big unspoken problem with bringing Superman back is like, oh, let's use the thing that Lex Luthor used, which created a massive monster that killed Superman. <laughs> yeah. Like that's why they shouldn't bring him back if you're going to have that argument. But again, maybe if you if you have the, the if thing you have the a mother box, well, if you have the thing in the movie where they, Steppenwolf yeah. is going to bring him back as a as a bad guy, then it makes a lot more sense. Well, quite. But yeah, I mean, for me, the thing with Wonder Woman that again, I think this is a Whedon thing because it's what he does with the Black Widow, which is at the end of the film when they're all sort of happy that they've separated the mother boxes or whatever and defeated Steppenwolf, like, they're all laughing and joking, and she goes, oh, I work with children. And it's like, sorry, she's not the mum of the group. Yeah, she she can have fun as well. Yeah, like, and I wish it wasn't Whedon, because he's supposed to be a feminist, but it's so similar to what he does with Black Widow in, in all of the Avengers stuff. In that she's the buzzkill. Yeah, like, she's not the one having fun, she's the one rolling her eyes at the boys, mm-hmm. and it's like... It's not, it's not fair, and it's not how the character was in a solo film. Like, if anything, it was the opposite. It was Steve Trevor going like, "You can't do that. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah, and, stop and having she fun." Was, it's, yeah. She was the one who was running off and doing stuff. And so for me, that was the the like you fucked up Wonder Woman bit in this film. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I think both of those are fair. Um, I think I think the the, the benefit. The good thing though is that they don't ruin Wonder Woman. There's nothing here that you go like, oh right, well that's completely cut the lakes out from under her. Which you know no. we we've seen from from you know other it's, team it's up ju- movies. That's that is entirely possible. You it's, can it's, kind it's, of compromise a character. It's just that there are there are moments that make you feel that this film doesn't understand why she worked so well in her own film. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Yeah. Okay, but I mean, I guess the good thing is we know that we know that <laughs> Patty Jenkins is going to be getting her back for uh, yeah. for Wonder Woman too. Um, should we talk about uh, some more stuff that we liked? Because what I did really like, and I and I almost think it's a shame now that we're doing Flashpoint instead, is I liked the I liked the introductory scene with Ezra Miller uh, as which is something that we've seen from the very first footage that was released of Justice League, the the Batman meeting flash scene. Um, I liked that version of Barry Allen, who seemed like it wasn't so much that he was quippy; it was that he was he was awkward. And and I did wonder whether like Ezra Miller was like making a, co- a conscious choice to play him autistic almost. Like there seems to be like almost like facial tics and 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 little quirks about the character and you know the fact that he kind of that he kind of lived alone and was isolated from everyone and only really spoke spoke to his dad. Um, it felt like there was a really interesting conscious choice for what they were doing with the Flash, and I I liked him after that. And I actually, I really liked him in the scenes with his dad. I thought it was one of the strongest moments at the end of the film where I thought Billy Crudup was great and I loved the reaction when he told, when he said he was getting the job. Um, but, and we've, and we've definitely lost an Iris Allen scene from this movie. She was <laughs> going to be in there. Kiersey Clemens was going to be Apparently there. Apparently that's, I read, is that because she's, she'll likely be recast for when the, because she had been cast by, I don't, that was going to direct. I don't know yet. Rick uh, Famuyiwa, uh, yeah, cast her. Yeah. Um, she was in Dope, the movie that he he directed, um, and which is great, and she's good in. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know whether she. I, there's certainly nothing being said definitively that she's been recast, but it's a. I guess it's possible, but I guess you know, in a Flashpoint movie, is she really going to be central anyway? Um, but yeah, I, so I, I guess what you, I said is you've got quite a lot to set up there. Yeah. To, uh... I think the point the point really though is that it just it felt like there was two different versions of that of Flash throughout the movie and one version of it of him was fun and I was like yeah I I I like this guy and I I liked all of it I just wondered whether there was something that was a little bit there was a little bit of more depth to the character originally that potentially we lost as we as we moved into this new I part. mean I I did like the idea of a superhero who's not actually that heroic and not especially confident like that feels like something we haven't seen yeah Mm. and so i kind of enjoyed that aspect like i didn't i didn't get any impression of like autism or asperger's or anything what i got was like his powers mean he's operating so quickly he can't like can't interact with people who don't know that he's got super speed like that's what i took away from those scenes Mm. I do, yeah. Well, I, I liked that. I really liked it when he was talking in the introduction about people are just too slow. And, yeah, yeah. And stuff. Um, I one thing I did actually really like about the way they did him as the Flash is that the way that he finds to be a superhero revolves almost entirely around saving people. Mm-hmm. And you know, we've mm-hmm. talked about this before about a problem I often have with these films is that <laughs> superhero tends to mean punching and fighting rather than actually rescuing people. Yeah. And the way that Batman gets him to actually respond and be the Flash is to say like, just go and grab one person, just save one person and then you've done something. And that's all and he does much throughout all the movie, of his isn't brand- it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. All he does there from then on throughout the film. He's there to help rescue Batman later on. 
and there's the bit where he rescues that family, which admittedly he's upstairs. Yeah, I mean, all that <laughs> is what a quite a fun gag. But it's it it works. It's like yes, because he's the guy who's fast. So the thing that he can do is get in there and get out and save people. Like, Good do you think you. apparently apparently that Batman speech to the Flash was a Whedon thing? And I think it's pretty clear all that Russian family stuff was Whedon as well. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's yeah, interesting. It's, uh, like, I feel like even though Zack Snyder got a lot of flack for like. Hi, do you not remember the collateral damage in your last two films? <laughs> it feels like he just, again, didn't care. And Whedon went, okay, this is something people complain about, so I'm going to fix that. Yeah, it, uh, there was, it did make some of the stuff in that final act feel incredibly in- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Coherent. And I mean, like, it, it that final <laughs> act must have been chopped up. But I'm sure there's one point after the Flash has already left that, like, you see almost like a bolt of lightning and Steppenwolf gets knocked over. But Flash is supposed to be, has supposed to have been running towards that family in the car for about a minute at that point. And then we cut back to him a minute later and he's still running towards the family in the car. And you, are you kind of going, oh, what's? There's the ADR, definitely ease this time or something. Yeah. And, the, and there's stuff in that, there's stuff in the final sequence where, um, uh, where, where Batman's kind of, you know, like, He's driving in on like almost this suicide mission, I guess they, they suggest. Um, but it doesn't really end up, I, I don't know. It just, it, it didn't track. There was a lot of the kind of the toing the throwing about what this character was doing over here and what this character was doing over there that didn't really track. And the only thing that felt consistent in there was that Cyborg was the one who was trying to separate the mother boxes and that, um, Batman, sorry, Batman, uh, Superman was the one who was going to come in and actually, like, very, <laughs> very easily beat up Steppenwolf. And I think they did that in, in a nice way that it was like, Superman is so clearly, like, dominating here. Like, it's so easy for him. Uh, but he didn't feel like a kind of a jerk or a bully beating up this bad guy. Yeah, it, it he didn't, didn't like completely fuck him up. He just kind of knocked him about a bit and then mm. Steppenwolf's own fear did the rest of it. And we've tonally, we've. Yeah, it felt quite crucial that, like a deliberate choice that Superman doesn't. Like, that villain is, is a villain that had to be killed, really, in order for, the, for mm-hmm. there not to be a hanging plot element. So it's really crucial that Superman does not explicitly kill the villain. I did. I had the moment watching that scene, I was like, oh, come on, he's not going to kill Steppenwolf, is he? <laughs> and I think they dealt with that in a really fun way. Well, yeah, it was it was a smart ending, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, he's he's seen Superman and he's finally scared. 
Um, I think in the original version of that, the, from what these leaks, they're suggesting that when Steppenwolf rips Cyborg apart, uh, that he does a proper job of that and kind of kills him. And Batman says something along the lines of, yeah, the, the organic parts of him are gone and that they would have to, but that there might be a way of salvaging him. Uh, which obviously, you know, when you're <laughs> reaching for a different tone in this movie, it's not the way to go. Um, yeah, it's interesting. If that had happened, we might have actually noticed that Cyborg was in the movie. <laughs> Do you know what? They, when they introduced him, I actually thought, for the first time, I could imagine a solo Cyborg movie that I'm like, okay, you've you've got the you've got the crux of an interesting character there. Um, He's the Robo Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, and just and just this this angst, you know, that this yeah this this kind of like throwback to a, a monster movie kind of angst about this yeah, guy. Yeah, sorry, who... I do, I mean Frankenstein's robo-monster. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought like, oh, okay, I could see that. And I actually thought Ray Fisher, for someone who I knew absolutely nothing about, and given that he's given a, a character who for most of the time just has to deliver, like, binary <laughs> exposition, I, I thought, I, I actually, I I quite like this guy. The one thing that I that didn't materialize that it feels like we've been sold on since like word go on this project when it was a you know a pure Snyder vehicle was that we were going to love the banter and the interplay between Flash and Cyborg and that they were almost going to have their own double act in this movie. They get one scene one together. Scene. One scene, and- yeah. That scene, right? That scene is so obviously a Joss Whedon scene yes, as well. Yeah, that's it as well. So of them like. like- Literally robbing Superman's grave, like while wisecracking, it was such a Buffy scene. Yeah. It's like they took a scene from Buffy and put it in the film. Yeah, and I and I liked the like the joke at the start about him. Um, Flash, I was I was watching. It, I was going, Flash, why is Flash digging a grave? He could do this in seconds, and then he actually <laughs> says it, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's funny, and that's what you get when you hire Joss Whedon. You get creative little ways around something that feels tired or that feels like that mm-hmm. feels stupid and that, um but that yeah, thing of I bonding think... as well where they're like we're the accidents like that's an interesting like thing for them to talk about yeah but when it's the when it's the only part of it in the movie it doesn't really yeah <laughs> it doesn't really get there it would have what been nice if that though, was an arc instead of a remark but yeah, on on the Whedon thing, I think yes, you do get those kind of creative idea, creative solutions around bad stuff. But I think when you're hacking up a movie and adding scenes in here and here and there, there is still there is still some stuff that maybe he can't he can't solve. And there are some moments where in in a movie that's just getting having to get from plot A to B to C, you end up getting some really stupid shit. Such as, and this is again going back to my scene, which I thought encapsulated almost everything that was good and bad about the movie. In that fight with Superman, and then Steppenwolf just drops into the background. Oh, that that mother box you've left hanging around. They the top left list. a mother box in the car park. He's just he's just on the car, and Steppenwolf comes, and he got and he gets is, it. I was and literally my, like crying with laughter in the film. Like, well, my favourite bit as well was I mean this film is full of like dodgy exposition where Gal Gadot turns to the camera and goes Steppenwolf he's got the mother box <laughs> oh there he goes it's, it's like we sh- yes I'm gonna have to point this out because I know it seems like insane that that would be the way like literally if Steppenwolf doesn't put the, these three mother boxes together he's he's not really gonna do it like he 
that's the only way he's going to destroy the Earth. He needs to get all three yeah. in order to terraform it. And so got he's got two one. of them already. Should we just leave the third one lying around there? <laughs> I mean, like, that's more careless uh, than Thanos has been with his Infinity Stones. Yeah. Oh, uh, that I, I mean, yeah, I thought that was just... I was literally, like, mouth agape, like, laughing at the screen when that happened. I was just like, wait a second, the thing that can destroy the universe, or the thing that can destroy the planet, they just forgot it was there. <laughs> um, and uh, talking of clumsiness with this film, the the opening act, a lot of which I actually... I, I thought the first 20, 30 minutes were, were pretty fun. But, like, for a film that we've been going for so long, this seems like the wrong way around to do it. It seems like the wrong way around to, like, properly introduce three of your five slash six team members properly for the first time in this movie when we've not seen any of them before. And especially, I mean, like, when Marvel were doing it, we'd seen all of them before... And like even the version that like that we hadn't seen, Mark, Mark Ruffalo as the Incredible Hulk, the movie didn't go to pains to go like this is the Incredible Hulk. It made subtle references to it, and it was a character who culturally is well known enough that you can kind of get that that's the Incredible Hulk. When mm-hmm. you're introducing characters like Cyborg <laughs> and Aquaman, who ra- really haven't had any mainstream like proper mainstream anyway, like exposure. And the Flash who, like, yeah, if you're one of the five, you know, five to ten million people who watch the Flash on TV, you get kind of his basic setup and you get, but they had to do all of that in the first 10, 20 minutes. And for those three characters, it felt like we just had to go, look, this is his deal. It's this and it's this and it's this and it's this. And now just accept that that's a character in the rest of the movie. And it just, it, it just really didn't work because it like, it's the, it's the Spider-Man thing, isn't it? It's the start of Spider-Man Homecoming where like, yeah, we don't need to explain that. We don't even need to refer to those things. You get it. He loses his aunt. He's got spider powers. This bash bosh. Yeah, that's him. For these guys, when you do that bish bash bosh approach, that's not good enough because culturally there's no real conception of who they are. So you can mm-hmm. tell me that Aquaman comes from beneath the sea and he's the king of Atlantis and maybe or maybe not he can speak to fish. But that's that doesn't well, like, really I can't I can't fill in the gaps there in my head. Yeah, I can't like, fill in the rest I, of those gaps. I like I didn't know Aquaman's origin going into the movie, and coming out of the movie, I feel like I know about a third of it. <laughs> And, and and on top of that, you don't really know, like, I don't really know in this movie, you know, what, what his motivation is. I, I, I don't really, like, no, why is he turning up to fight with the humans? Uh, like, and I, I didn't know, is he... What are is his he, powers? Yeah, what are his powers? Is he the king underwater? Is the underwater stuff going to look that crap in Aquaman? <laughs> is, it, it's like, there's just so why much of it. They, why do they have to stop and, like have a bit a dry bit around them so that they can have a conversation oh, God, yeah. <laughs> because if they because sw- if they're atlanteans who live underwater then they'll speak telepathically mm-hmm. <laughs> well that's why do they have to do that every time they want a conversation <laughs> or is it just so that you can have amber heard standing there dripping wet for us for the for her one scene in the film it's yeah. like it was it's ugly though that wasn't it that that, that that the whole underwater sequence was ugly yeah it does say that there's pretty much nothing about this 
that makes me want to see the Aquaman film. No. And, and you know, you're, you're, you're from a, a pretty bad starting point anyway because <laughs> there's Aquaman. nothing intrinsically that makes me want to see a, an Aquaman <laughs> film. Um, I mean, Aquaman, I do think it was just, funny. He comes off, he's just a bro, isn't he? Like, yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, without that one Joss Whedon scene of him being like, actually, this is all a facade. There's nothing to him. The thing is, I don't really like Aquaman in the comics, and I didn't really like Aquaman in the film. But they're very different because because this in this kind of bro dude version of Aquaman, as I say, it owes nothing to the Aquaman from the comics. It is pretty much Thor. Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. If you want to do a take on Thor, it's something that's been shown that can work. But Aquaman in the comics is basically a grumpy bastard because he's king of the sea and everyone who lives on Earth treats the sea like shit. So he's quite annoyed all the time. And actually you can have some quite good stuff out of that. And actually in a Justice League context, um, Grant Morrison used that quite well. Um but yeah, I can't say I've ever been interested in like solo Aquaman comics. Now. I thought I, I thought it was very weird. Them. It's very weird actually how the DC logo at the start of the film has the comics clean shaven, thin, yeah, Aquaman in, <laughs> and then you're immediately watching a film with a completely different vision. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Well, I I can't. I can't really say much positive about Aquaman, and I just, I, I, I don't want to do a "told you so" moment, but I just never, I, I, I don't know. Like, I never saw what the appeal of this character was through what we'd seen of him. I mean, I think I it mean, was, it was that Jason a... Momoa was having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, and, and everyone was going, "Oh, finally, of... someone having fun." <laughs> I think there's a version of this that could have worked. It's just, it's you know. Like there's a version of Thor where he was too much of an arrogant dick and so you don't like him. You know, it, it, playing that character can go one of two ways. And I say, I do keep making the comparison to Thor, but Thor went one way and this went the other way. It didn't have the stuff to pull you into actually liking him. <laughs> like, And just when he's just, you know, flying around going booyah and stuff. Just, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I'd watch that movie. <laughs> Uh, so I, I mean, I, I think it, it does ultimately, doesn't it? Because there's so little to the plot. There's so little. It seems to have stripped away a lot of the DC EU world building. So yeah, you see, there's there's a there's a background reference to a Green Lantern who we may or may not ever see Green Lanterns in this universe. I mean, what was that scene? So that scene that was in the trailer, the most recent, oh, I think maybe the Comic-Con footage from this year, that was Alfred looking at someone and saying, oh, I know you, I knew you'd come or I knew you'd turn up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so like, and given the way that Superman is reintroduced, I mean, is that Superman coming back from the farm or is or was that a Green Lantern sequence? I, I think the, we've no, because that was Superman. Definitely, definitely. yeah. Well, because they say um, hope in that scene, yeah, doesn't it? I yeah. think we have lost so much material between that fight at and the, the farm. crash site and him him actually returning from the farm. I think I think you'd have had about half an hour of a film there where Clark is trying to come to terms with being back. Well, yeah, because like what happens is he wakes up and he's kind of confused and angry. Yeah, and he says to uh, to Batman like, "Do you bleed?" And then he flies off with Lois. Oh, I cringe so hard when he said that. Me too, Jesus. <laughs> and then he lands on the farm and he's like, oh, "Actually, I'm fine." 
And, and what's weird is he seems to be fine when he's at the farm, but he waits before going. He's like, yeah, they brought me back to life to fight this thing. I'm all right now. I know who I am. I probably need to go and help them, but I'll just hang around here for a bit. And surely what was actually going to happen was he's back at the farm because he's not right yet. Mm-hmm. And the moment at which he becomes right, he goes, right, I'm off. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. <sighs> but maybe, maybe he needed that time to figure out how they're going to explain Clark Kent coming back. To- because, you know, I w- my assumption, even when he dies at the end of Batman v Superman, would have been, okay, so from now on, they are going to have a Superman who doesn't have a secret identity. Yeah. And they can make that work. But the very end of this film shows you that, no, he's gone back to being Clark Kent well, with the I, glasses. Well, the you know I want, Maybe he's going to be Chris Kent, his own, own twin brother. <laughs> I thought for a second when that when that was unfolding that that was Superman taking off his glasses and that he was about to walk back into the Daily Planet, you know, as mm. Clark Kent, but without That's, the glasses. Yeah. And But no, it's we finally get the kind of the shirt-ripping <laughs> seat, scene, which, uh, again, that's got to be Whedon, doesn't it? That's... Yeah, it feels like we did. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah. Do you know what though? Like, it's. I don't think I want to see a version of Henry Cavill Superman where I'd rather them just explain it away in some in some nonsense kind of you know. Oh yeah, but well, people Clark's been on the holiday for all this time, and we just thought he was dead because his phone was <laughs> off and we couldn't get through to him. I'd rather that than see a version. I want to see. I want to see Henry Cavill playing a classic Christopher Reeve esque version of Superman. (laughs) I'm I'm kind of the opposite. I don't want to see that. I don't think he can do it better than Reeve. So, well, maybe not better than Reeve, but no. I I I think what Henry Cavill could do is a a Dean Cain type Clark Kent, where Clark is actually a pretty (laughs) decent, well rounded character in his own right. Yeah, no, I don't want him fully. I don't want him fully bumbling, but I would like him just, just not to, not to be an asshole, which he doesn't seem to be in this movie. Um, did you, know, you just actually? To- did you get that? So yeah, there was a bit in the film where they separate the mother boxes and they like land on their asses, and then they start laughing. Mm. And I was like, this film has spectacularly misjudged its own tone. <laughs> Like, it reminded me of Fantastic Four, like, the Josh Trank version in that respect. Because I was just like, I'm not there with you on this being, like, a moment of super relief. Not least because I assumed at that point, I did not assume at that point that they had just won. Because it happened so quickly and so easily. (laughs) I was like, surely we've got another half an hour of actually just fighting Steppenwolf. Yeah, well, Steppenwolf hadn't actually been defeated at that point either. He'd just been sort of knocked off screen. Yeah, like, it uh, just is one of those things. Like, I think this like, film is like misses its own tone, mm. and, and you know, Whedon tried to drag it back to a sort of <laughs> hopeful, optimistic place, and didn't quite manage. It just sort of doesn't quite earn it. Yeah, sort of. yeah. I mean, with, with that that final bit, I'm not saying for a second that I would rather have watched half an hour of CGI fighting, but you only have to compare to the sequence in Man of Steel where. You know he's got to he's got to destroy that engine thing, and <laughs> Zod is on the other side of the world, and he's got to fight him. And it's this like massive struggle, and like both of these things are incredibly difficult for him to do. And he eventually, after about forty five minutes of bad CGI fighting, succeeds. Um, and Batman v Superman, they're fighting Doomsday, and it's a real struggle. And the only way to ultimately defeat Doomsday also involves Superman getting killed. And then here. 
they pull some boxes apart and then they punch Steppenwolf a bit and then his own creatures come and destroy him. And it's just for, for what's supposed to be the big stakes. Because I also don't feel that the world is sufficient. I was about to say. You don't like... see enough of it. <laughs> you don't see anything happening outside of the little red bubble that they're in. And you can say all you want, oh, this is going to destroy the world. But Yeah, you've got to you know, believe it. it. I find it interesting that there's a, you know, obviously we've talked so much about Man of Steel and collateral damage and, and disaster porn. And a, but there is obviously a balance between too much of what Man of Steel does and and not enough, which is here. You've got to show the threat at least. It doesn't mean you revel yeah. in it, but you have to show a tangible threat to more people than a family <laughs> in a little shack. What you have yeah. to do <laughs> is show show Paris having a bit of an earthquake and Sydney having a bit of an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's that's the trope of the genre. That's yeah. that's how you show a worldwide threat. But you know what, I think for all its other faults, Age of Ultron does a very good job of that. Like, it is a small, uh, you know, Sokovia, I was going to say, like, Russian or so. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a city <laughs> in Sokovia, or it's, but it's, it's a populated area. It is, for the moment, concentrated to that, to that area. But the threat to those people in those area will then it will then spill over to more people because this is like the this is the last line of defense and you and you yeah. buy it in there and you buy that every person in that city is under threat and that if if they fail there that more and people and I will think be crucially you also buy that the world is actually watching that whereas yes. in this you get the sense that like it's not like you know the world's military is scrambling like no one else on the planet has a clue what's going on. Yeah. yeah, except for Alfred. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and I, I mean, Man of Steel does, I think, achieve that. It does feel like a, a worldwide event. It does feel like mm-hmm. the entire world is watching this kind of, you know, like uh, Battle of New York kind of level of event. That yeah, this this changes everything. Um, and yeah, you, you don't really feel that here. Um, but I mean. <sighs> I think ultimately for DC, what this movie has ended up being is it's not what the Avengers was. It's not a culmination. It's not a victory lap. It's not, it's not this thing that you go, look what we have managed to achieve. Look what we've managed to build. Let's tell a story within this and let's also like move forward after that. It feels like it's a movie that goes, let's get in on one side. Let's put these characters into it. Let's not kind of burn any more bridges on the way out. Yeah, let's not, let's not, let's not kill any characters because let's not close any roads to ourselves, but let's kind of get out of there and let's try and give ourselves a new flat platform kind of in the way that Thor Ragnarok does by kind of like tearing up the old. But this is more like, look, we had these versions of these characters that weren't really working. What if we had these? kind of a, a new versions of most of them of the ones that we need to change mostly superman let's fix superman let's not do anything too ambitious with the others so we can we can <laughs> not break them and you know let's move on from there I mean, and i do think it maybe is it maybe is a platform that i mean if this had have done you know 185 million at the box office i think you would have said okay so it's very clear where you go from here they've fixed they fixed Superman. You can you can maybe replace Ben Affleck's Batman still if you want to, um, but otherwise you've kind of got the platform of these very basic sketches of these five six characters that you can then continue to do films around and maybe 
maybe weave in the new characters to this universe. The box office does throw a spanner in the works, though, I think. <laughs> I mean, I always think uh, how after Avengers, like Avengers did a billion dollars and then Iron Man 3 came out and also did a billion dollars. Like it mm. inherited the Avengers audience. Mm. And to an extent, every film since has done that. But this hasn't inherited Wonder yeah, Woman's audience. This hasn't even inherited Wonder Woman's audience. Like it's insane. Like, from a business perspective, like, if you can't bring in those people to see this sequel, who's seeing it? Like, why are you doing this? Like, all it had to do was retain that audience, if not build it. And it can't even do that. Like, why spend all the money on effort on doing this film if you're not going to make a shitload of money out of it? But, well, I mean, I don't don't think it was on purpose, James. (laughs) Well, no, but, like, this is the conversation they're going to be having is, like, why aren't we just doing more films like Wonder Woman that stand alone and appeal to fuckloads of people? Like, why are we trying to put everyone in the same film and not do it? Well, I, I mean, I think the, I think the, the box office implications for this film, they've come from, uh, they've come from the movies that have come before. They're not, it's, it's not the fault of this movie or the marketing of this movie, even, I don't think. <laughs> it is, it's a little bit the fault of this movie well, because they they spent a lot of time marketing this as a film without Superman in it. Yeah, but well, but even not you know not convincing of that. <laughs> you know? I mean, I just think like I always think of my parents who like if they saw a film advertising with Batman and Superman in, they'd be like, oh, it's a Batman and Superman film. Yeah. Whereas they watch this and it's like it's a Batman and five other people film. Yeah, I mean, well, that's been a bizarre thing from start to finish. The whole, yeah. the whole Superman of it. But I do. <laughs> there think is Superman re- in it, and then putting him as literally the first shot. I think the reason the film, <laughs> I think the reason this film failed at the box office though was um, Batman v Superman, not yeah, not Justice League itself. I sure. mean, the reviews didn't help. I mean, we should talk about that. The forty percent is it on now? Thirty nine. Well, no more. More, I think the pre-release of not revealing the box office, the, the Rotten Tomatoes score until the day of release or the day before release of literally <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes making the decisions themselves to withhold that score until the day of release, I mean, even though the reviews have been submitted to the website, even though the individual reviews have been, are been are out there elsewhere. And the reason why all that is so dodgy is because Time Warner is a minority owner of Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. I mean, as my friend said, like, the only thing rotten is rotten tomatoes. It's, like, it's unethical in the extreme. Yeah. I mean, it, I can believe that they maybe didn't get someone from Warner saying, like, oh, hold back the score, please. But at the same time, it's too shady. The appearance of it is too shady to not be suspicious of it. I mean, that's that's what your website exists for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I thought it was, um, incredibly disappointing. And, and I mean, the, the, any ideas that people thought there was some kind of conspiracy? I mean, you know, these, these, uh, crazy DC fans who think that like Rotten Tomatoes are marking reviews that are like, seem like they're like borderline positive, negative and marking them as rotten rather than fresh. You know, the fact that, that there could be any conspiracy there when Rotten Tomatoes are literally doing this for <laughs> Justice League. I mean, I, I check the top critics and the top critics thing is even lower. It's like 25 or something. Yeah. I mean, as I say, I, I, do you know what? I mean, like, 
it's one of those things, expectations-wise, I came out of this movie and was kind of like, I was like, it wasn't good, but it wasn't the clusterfuck I expected it could have been. Um, well, this is, uh, this is something that I was saying to Mike literally just before we started the podcast, which was that, like, part of me came out of this movie going, oh, it wasn't Suicide Squad. But, like, Suicide Squad isn't the bar. Like, Avengers no. is the bar. Yeah. <laughs> and it's And it's especially, like, if this was the first one or if this had come if this was in place of batman v superman as as you know the one to follow up from man of steel and try and kick off this universe then i think you know i think people would be more inclined to be a little kinder towards it <laughs> because you, it could be more about finding its feet the fact that this is the film this that is yeah. should have built up to is yeah. just it's it's just completely it's you know it is a fine film not fun, not fine as in that's a fine fine film you know, it's it's a film that's yeah it's fine that's not good enough for what this film is supposed to be and for what this film is promoted as being and for what DC and Warner's and Zack Snyder and everybody have been talking about this film as being for the last what are we on like 4 years when did man of steel come out uh, uh, yeah, but this wasn't. I mean, this universe. This universe began with. I don't care what anyone says. This universe began with Batman v Superman. So yeah. it's really, well, this, it's really only film, been eighteen this film months. Was announced, no, this film was announced in October twenty fourteen. So, well, yeah. So it's it's been three years that this has been talked about as oh wow you're going to get a Justice League movie you're going to get to see the Justice League and it's going to be amazing <laughs> and the thing about the Justice League and this is I'm, okay I'm going to get into a bit of a thing about DC and Marvel now is the DC's main heroes, especially the Justice League, and especially if you're doing the, in inverted commas, Big Seven Justice League, you know, if you don't have Martian Manhunter and Green Lantern. Cyborg. These are, well, yeah, but post-New 52, he's part of that, apparently. The big five and a half. Yeah. You know, these are supposed to be the biggest. This is not supposed to be a team of rookie heroes finding their feet. These are supposed to be the greatest heroes in the world, banding together to fight threats that nobody else could possibly fight alone. The tagline is you can't save the world alone and Superman pretty much does that at the end of the film. <laughs> you can't save the world without Superman is what the tagline should have been. Um, you know, it's just you could you could do a Justice League that was like this because, you know, let's face it, Justice League International is my favourite version of, of that team. But this Justice League should be enormous, big mythology stuff. This film should have been bursting with too much stuff to fit in it and too many ideas and maybe not succeed at all of them, but with enough ambition and just ridiculousness thrown at it. You know, I, I would have preferred... As I said, It comes back to Batman v Superman, which, which I think does reach for too much and tries to do too much. And this just doesn't. And, you know, once again, I've come out of a DC film and, like, a thought that I was having as, as this was coming towards the end, for as much as I liked some of the character stuff and, and particularly The Flash, and I did like how it did Superman, I found myself thinking back to Guardians of the Galaxy 2. At a particular moment in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, which is when you have that little montage towards the end, and there is a sync, there is that shot of Rocket and Star Lord 
flying through the sky. It's a really, really brief moment. The two of them fly in and smiling and laughing at each other. And that's one of the images that, that stuck with me the most out of that film. And the reason for that is that here are two characters who before, again, what year did Guardians come out? Was it 2014? Yeah, like before right. 2014, I vaguely knew those characters existed, but I did not care about them at all and had no pre-existing knowledge. And then Guardians 2 can, you know, the second film with these characters can have just a little moment like that that just gets me right in the heart because those films have made me love and care about those characters so much that I get that lovely bit of joy from that shot. This is Justice League. This is DC Comics. I've been reading DC Comics (laughs) for nearly 30 years and, you know, I probably first saw a Superman movie about 30 years ago and I have been so invested in DC and the DC universe and DC's characters for all of that time. And I just don't care about <laughs> this film. Apart from a couple of moments where I go, oh, Superman's there. I love Superman. Apart from that, I mean, I that, just how can these films not make me care when I'm so pre That is the thing, isn't it? Like, because you sit even, like, even in Avengers 2 and Thor Ragnarok and stuff, like, even in, like, the peripheral Avengers films, like, sometimes you get that moment where, like, it feels like your heart's going to burst out your chest. Because you're just, like, so excited by what's happening on screen. And in this, like, the film didn't make me feel anything for the majority of it. Except occasionally when I was laughing at some of the stupider things that were happening. <laughs> but we know that DC aren't incapable. It's not like that the people... I mean, I think this is... Given that this is not doesn't feel like a Zack Snyder movie, I can only imagine this is Zack Snyder done with DC. Um... There are, there are people working behind the scenes that are not incapable of making good DC movies because yeah, we've because, seen Wonder Woman. Because but Wonder Woman just... gave me that feeling, even though, like, again, I know almost yeah, nothing I about Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman, but I came out of that film thinking, like, amazing. Like, that's what I wanted. But this is what I mean about kind of wondering what they're going to do next, because, I mean, when you look at this Batman with this tone and then remember that this is the same universe where Jared Leto's Joker exists, you go, <laughs> how, how is that going to happen? You know, it's funny you say that because I did one of the, after this, not during it, but a little while after it, I was thinking along the lines of, okay, so this film has done a reasonable amount to rehabilitate this, this universe and, and this version and, and maybe we could have some good stuff going forward. And then I just went, Oh no, hang on. In this universe, Jared Leto's the Joker. <laughs> you know, I actually. It's not salvageable. <laughs> I actually had forgotten because, you know, in that final scene in the cell. Yeah. Like, part of me thought, oh, are they going to turn it around and it's not going to be Luther? It's going to be the Joker. And at no point did I think, oh yeah, it's going to be Jared Leto. <laughs> By the way, was that a payoff from a, from a scene at the end of Batman v Superman? Was there a. Was that the same guy from the end of Batman v Superman when Jesse Eisenberg was in the cell? I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I was trying to. I was trying to remember. I just remember so little in terms of the specifics. Of that <laughs> just movie. as soon as Jesse Eisenberg was back, I was like, "Oh yeah, it's the like, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's him." <laughs> Do you wonder whether they're like so? Deathstroke, we thought was going to be the villain that they're introducing in the solo Batman movie. Mm-hmm. That's that's been the assumption. And like, so do you reckon it's going to be that like Lex Luthor exists in the background now, almost like Thanos, and that if we do get around to like a Justice League two, that the yeah there will be this Injustice League, and it will be all of the villains that you see in between. 
Is that is that the idea, or or what is the idea? Is, I guess is that, Deathstroke that's a Batman? the idea. Is, is he that... a villain for Batman, or is he a villain for something else? Is is Lex Luthor going to show up in a Batman movie? Well, like for me, the the way to have done Lex Luthor would have been to have had him as like Darkseid's liaison on Earth, like messing around with forces he doesn't really understand but thinks he can comprehend or whatever. Which felt like, like it was the, the original plan, and yeah, not- like the kind of Loki figure who is like straddling the line of you know interfacing all these different worlds like cuz you can there are plenty of reasons for Lex Luthor and Batman to clash like that's not something you have to work hard at if you know within the context of the characters and the same with any of the other superheroes like he's got his fingers in enough pies basically but the you know they didn't actually use him in this film and it seemed like why take your most recognisable villain and your most formidable villain? Don't use him. Don't use the obvious alternative, which is Darkseid, and replace him with this like CGI monstrosity that no one cares about in any context. Well, like, I mean, again, the, character. The question that all of those whys come back to it has been hobbled together from one thing to another thing, and I don't think there has been in terms of this actual film too much forward planning because I think anything that this film was supposed to set up, you know, it was originally a two part movie. It was, it was announced as justice league part one and part two. And at some point they changed that. And so I imagine a lot of plans kind of got messed up. Well, Seb, I'm interested actually. Cause like I, if I was making a justice league film, Lex Luthor would be the villain. But I mean, like if you, aside from dark side, who would be the villain? Um, like who's the obvious fit? I mean, Luther is a good obvious fit because it's a good expansion of like kind of his hatred of Superman. I, I always I always like seeing Luther in opposition to Bruce Wayne, mm-hmm. um, and 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 Luther was quite recurringly a villain in um, Grant Morrison's JLA run. Um, other than that, I mean, you've got Starro the Conqueror, <laughs> who's a, a a giant space starfish that possesses people. Um, I'm trying to think what other Justice League fans there really are. I I would probably go with Luther, but I wouldn't go with Jesse Eisen. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you think they're, do you think I mean, they're saving an, Brainiac for a Superman movie? Potentially. This is the thing they would they would tend to be they would be most likely Superman villains. I think you would use Darkseid as a Superman villain, Brainiac as a Superman. You wouldn't use Batman villains against the Justice League. You would you would have those large. <laughs> you could scale you could not Superman have the Joker villains. against the Justice League. Um, Ra's al Ghul. He was. Uh, yeah, Ra's al Ghul. Yeah, potentially. Um, I mean, because then you could at least use like the assassins or whatever. Yeah, I mean, obviously, what they're looking to build towards is is having an injustice gang or an injustice league. Um, so that could be made up of the likes of Lex Luthor and, heaven forbid, the Joker, um, <laughs> Deathstroke. You could look at sort of something like the the Secret Six, maybe, which there's sort of a fair bit of crossover with Suicide Squad in terms of. This is the, the thing though. I just keep coming back characters. to. I keep coming back to it, guys. Like, what do they do next? What do they keep? What do they get rid of? What is the slate? Is it, or is it just like, <laughs> is it, is it just we kind of, we drop the crossovers and we just have them existing independently? I think the way to go is to just keep the strands as separate as possible for a few years until and then, 
They've Until actually you know what's successful ones. and you know what's not successful. Yeah. But do you make a Ben Affleck Batman movie? Christ, no. No. <laughs> I mean, and like Flash, Flashpoint is a movie that they're making which is all tied up in the universe of it all. Yeah, I, good, good yeah. luck to him. I mean, part of me wants to say you, you, you still, you start again. But then they've got enough in this film that works, and the one thing you can't argue with is that Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman has to be in everything they do, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they can't... I think it's kind of like trying to turn, like, a steamship around or whatever, like a liner. Like, it's going to take him a while to get anywhere good. So maybe don't aim too high, like, do it incrementally. Like, make some, do what Marvel did, make some individual films that are good before you try and cram everything together. Yeah. I'll tell you what the one thing that would have made me really excited in this film would have been, and that would have been if Harley Quinn showed up. Because <laughs> <laughs> that would have been like, oh, I wasn't expecting that, but it is quite cool. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, who knows what's going to go on with, what's going to happen with Suicide Squad and... <laughs> I tell you, I would like to see the next Superman film be a Superman and Harley Quinn team up. <laughs> they literally do just take the the successful elements of yep. the movies. <laughs> I guess though, that what the, what this movie does prove is that nothing is beyond salvaging. Like they've salvaged this version of Superman and made him into a character that we want to watch. I mean, uh, do you know what? I think I've figured it out finally. Why I didn't really have a problem with the upper lip. And that's because when Henry Cavill turned back up on screen, I was transfixed at, oh God, I forgot about the chest hair, for one. <laughs> and, and for two, I saw Chris Hemsworth shirtless in Thor. I saw, I saw him, I saw his bum, in fact, in Thor Ragnarok. Um, and he is a fine specimen of a man. Henry Cavill is huge. He's so big. And I just like, he is, I, he's when, quite bulgy, isn't he? Like, I was yeah. not prepared for that. But I, I remember saying the same about the scene, you know, when he comes out of the water in, in Man of Steel. Um, he's just a different level of big when it comes to these <laughs> superheroes. And that's it. I think that's the one thing that I really loved about this movie was you you believe that Superman is on a different level to everyone else. And I think that, you know, you kind of want to see what the threats are that come, what the threats are that come back afterwards you know what who are the threats that they come up with that can fight this version of superman <laughs> this strength of superman um <laughs> yeah so that's but my... it, does, it does rather render the whole concept of the justice league <laughs> kind of irrelevant <laughs> so i just leave it to superman, superman it's funny that you know that's the complaint people always have about superman is always overpowered but I, I always argue against that <laughs> they forgot this to fix kind of, uh, <laughs> yeah Maybe that's it. Maybe that's just Joss Whedon has just always been the guy arguing that. Like, Superman's not interesting because he could just beat anyone. And then he's yeah, gone. No, we'll watch him do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and I think I think we're just about done, but one final thing we probably should talk about before we get to the comic recommendations is the score. Um Junkie XL replaced by Danny Elfman. And uh there was there was uh some memorable stuff in there. And by memorable, yeah. <laughs> I mean I've heard it before. Yeah, you remember it from the previous films. Yeah, yeah. 
they didn't use it in quite the way that I well they didn't use the Superman one in quite the way that I expected. It was just the sort of doing that darker, twisted version for when he comes back. Well, they were like so they were little motifs, weren't they? Wonder, yeah, yeah. I kind of wonder why they bothered. It was the same with the Batman bit. It's like oh, Batman when he's on a rooftop, which has actually reminded me, by the way. Good work getting J.K. Simmons for that massively important role in this film <laughs> for like two scenes on a rooftop. I mean, Lawrence Fishburne didn't even get a look in, so. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like, oh, Batman's turned up and he's got the Danny Elfman Batman theme. In case you didn't know, it was Batman. Just that it was a bit. If they were going to do it, I'd rather they'd gone to to, to coin the tagline "All In" on it <laughs> and done it proper. I like. I expected a proper, full, triumphant John Williams Superman when Superman. Yeah, me too. Superman. And it just never materialised. I it. thought the again the Batman bit was weird because I was watching a scene that looked like it had come out of the Arkham games. Like it looked like it had come <laughs> I out thought of that, especially where he's got Arkham. the grappling hook. Yeah, I, it looked like it had come out of like the last Batman game, but you were still at that point looking at the the. Zack Snyder, Frank Miller-ish version of Batman from the previous film. Um, but then the Danny Elfman original Batman music was coming. I was like, what? Who is, what is this? <laughs> um, I do have another point about the soundtrack though, which is that the, the Watchmen-esque opening montage used what is a fantastic choice of song for using in a movie like this and in a setup where the world has lost hope because Superman's dead. But why the, Fuck, didn't they use the actual original Leonard Cohen version instead of a John Lewis cover version of it? It's, <laughs> it's a great song and the original sounds so good and it's really sort of driving and and ominous and just this horrible, horrible version instead. Yeah. If you've never heard the proper Everybody Knows by Leonard Cohen, go and listen to the album I'm Your Man, which is his weird 80s synthy album and it's fantastic. <laughs> Okay, uh, let's move on now to the comic book recommendations. Um, James, what have you got for me? Okay, I mean, I'm not the sort of person who reads a lot of JLA comics. Sorry, Justice League comics. They dropped the America, didn't they? Um, It's Justice League of the entire world now. I've actually read more Justice League International on Seb's recommendations. I think it's the JLEU. If you're <laughs> Justice League of the Extended Universe. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the only comic I feel capable of recommending you is actually quite an interesting one, and it is the JLA Avengers crossover. Um, it's drawn by Kurt. No, it's drawn by George Perez and written by Kurt Busiek, who did the Avengers comics I recommended to you way, way back in the past. Um, and this was like a four-issue intercompany crossover. Which I've heard, I've heard this. They're yeah. like, they're, they're, they'd like pair off one character who then they fight. Yeah, right? basically. Right? I mean, yeah, basically. Like the thing is, they started drawing it in like I think the eighties. Was it Seb? Do you remember? It's yeah. It sound that sounds about right. Yeah, basically, <laughs> sure they made part of it in the eighties, and then the deal fell apart, and then they came and finished it in the early part of this century. Um. And in terms of getting like all the classic Avengers and Justice League characters in one comic and showcasing them, I think the reason it'll be interesting for you is it defines them in opposition to one another. And you're very familiar with the Avengers. And I think you'll be very familiar with everyone in the Justice League from the last sort of 40, 50 years by the time you finish that comic. It's not super long, but I think it's worth reading. Brilliant. Uh, Seb, I imagine you've got something a lot more like traditional DC Justice League than that. 
Well, it's funny because I thought James was going to do the obvious one, so I had a backup one. But <laughs> I, I'm, I'm going to recommend you them both because they're both quite short and they're both by the same writer and they're both sort of in the same bit of continuity in the same era. Um, so in 1997, uh, Grant Morrison took over writing Justice League with a newly launched book that was simply called JLA. Um, I think before the point before that was it had been Justice League International and that had then, well, it had been Justice League, which then became Justice League International uh, and then split into Justice League Europe and Justice League America. Then when Giffen and Dematis finally left that book um, in around about, it was not long before kind of Death of Superman, so it was probably about 92, um, Dan Jurgens, who was also writing Superman, took over and had some of the same characters but turned it into a little bit more of a kind of trad superhero. Like a lot of the humour was gone, um, but it still had the likes of like Guy Gardner and Fire and Ice and stuff in it. Um, so that that run kind of wound down. I don't know if if what writers they had on after Jurgens, but it, it, it sort of limped along. And what was clear was that the JLA kind of needed a, a shot in the arm and sort of to be restored as the the big heavyweight superhero team. So Grant Morrison came on board, um, and the remit was basically. These are actually the seven most powerful characters. It's you know the the, the big seven, the originals. So it's Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Flash, Aquaman, Green Lantern, who was Carl Rayner at this point, and Martian Manhunter. And you know it was about tackling the big threats and sort of you know they they almost kind of come together by accident because there is actually an existing Justice League at this point, and who I think Superman is a member of, but the other characters are all pretty much nobodies, <laughs> and they they sort of get badly beaten by this new threat that comes along. So a new Justice League gets formed almost by accident just to kind of deal with the emergency. And at the end of that first arc, they decide to sort of become the new permanent Justice League. Um, so the first, I'd, I'd suggest reading the first four issues of that, which is the first arc, which I think is called New World Order. I will warn you that the art's not very good. Um, it's by an artist called Howard Porter, who is a lot better these days than he used to be, but his 90s style is... It's very nineties, basically, and it's not always clear what's going on. Um, but I think I think you'll get enough of a sense of it. So, given that you've only got four issues of that, you could carry on and read a bit more of the Morrison JLA run if you like it. If you are going to carry on, I will warn you that after issue four of JLA in Superman's own comic, he got transformed <laughs> into uh, an energy-based. Uh, version of himself and got a new costume. It was a big controversial thing at the time. Electro you know, One of those comic stories that actually made the mainstream press when the mainstream press thought it might be permanent when it obviously wasn't. So that's not explained in the pages of JLA. He just suddenly becomes Energy Suit Superman from issue five. Uh, so be warned of that if you do decide you want to carry on and read the Morrison stuff. There's an arc um, which I'm not specifically recommending for this because it's a bit heavy and doesn't always work but issues 10 through to 15 is called rock of ages um and there's a lot of stuff to do with kind of the new gods and stuff in that and the villains the main villains in it are luther and the joker so it's a big old it's the kind of thing we were just talking about in terms of villains that the that the justice league uh could fight but actually rather than that that's a long me talking a long roundabout way about something I'm not necessarily saying you should read. But I'd really like to recommend um, JLA Earth 2, which is basically, it was a stand, it was done as a standalone, I don't know if it was a graphic novel or a miniseries, but it's collected as a, as a, as a graphic novel. Um, and it's written by Morrison, and it's, it, it's that Justice League team, so it's, it's that same team lineup, 
um, but it involves them fighting uh, an alternate universe version of themselves. This was at a point when DC didn't officially have the multiverse. The multiverse hadn't been brought back. It's post-crisis. And this established that there's another Earth with villains on. It's essentially the old... It's like the old-style slash current-style Earth 3, where you have Ultraman and uh, Superwoman and Owlman as a kind of villainous Injustice League. Right. Uh, Lex Luthor's also quite prominent in it. It's drawn by Frank Quitely, so it's a it's an early Morrison and Quitely collaboration, so it looks fantastic. Um, and it's it's just a really great Justice League standalone story. I th- I think it's the best thing Morrison wrote about about the Justice League, and and one of the best things he did at DC. Full stop. Actually, I think it's absolutely fantastic. But I think you'd be you'd be well served reading the four issues that set up that team before you then go on to a story that was published three or four years later. That's that team kind of at the height of their powers, if you see what I mean. Um, so, and Superman is not Electric Blue Superman at this point. He's he's back to classic star Superman. I would have liked to see Frank quietly draw Electric Blue Superman. That would be fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so JLA, New World Order, and Earth Two. Um, it's about it's probably about six to eight total issues worth of comics. So enjoy that. Excellent. Okay, uh, well we'll move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. Um, and as usual, we're kind of sticking with something closely related to the film we just saw. Um, and this week, guys, I thought I would uh, I'd leave you a, a, a kind of a, a big amount of latitude with how you want to interpret this and what you want to do with it. Um, I want to know who would be your ideal lineup in the next Justice League movie. So that could be a sequel to this Justice League. It could be something else entirely. It could be um, some recast actors. It could be whatever you want. So who would be your ideal lineup in the next Justice League movie? Um, and Seb, I'm going to guess you've thought about this a bit more and you, you've got a bit more uh, <laughs> mental Outrageous. ammunition for for who uh, <laughs> who could be in a Justice League lineup. So I'm going to come to you first and I'll leave James a little bit more time to work on his rebuttal. <laughs> well, I, I might have done if, if, if we'd got this pitch earlier than... A little while before we got uh, You got it like two hours before. <laughs> yeah, but I've been busy. <laughs> well, um, whose fault is that? No, I, I did think. Shed. I, I did think about sort of. I actually just interpreted this as if you were doing a movie that was a follow up to this. Um, I, I, I kind of wish now I had the time to go away and actually think about a proper pitch for a proper brand new Justice League film with characters that I, that I love and actors who I've identified to play them. Um, I actually think pretty much all all you need in the the next Justice League film um, would be obviously Wonder Woman because we know she's great, uh, Superman because I think he's been rehabilitated by this, uh, the Flash because I think he was pretty great, and the other character in in Justice League who I think is pretty much the most important out of the heroes in terms of how much they actually contribute to getting stuff done, uh, which is Alfred. <laughs> Um, and I, I, I would make Alfred the the, the centerpiece of, of the next Justice League film because I'm I'm pretty sure that nothing that they succeed in in this film would actually happen if they didn't have Alfred sitting there directing everything from afar and just generally being the uh, the moral core of, of the Justice League. So so let's put Alfred front and center and and have the the JLA the Justice League of Alfred. <laughs> Amazing. I thought you were going to say Martian Manhunter, um, but <laughs> I guess Alfred works fine. So, wait, just to be clear there, we have Alfred, but we don't have Batman. Yeah. Perfect. 
Um, yeah, the only the only way I think they should have Batman is to uh, recast him as Army Hammer. See, Army Hammer is was it was he was he the one originally? He was cast he was as... he, he was Batman in the George Miller one, but I think because he has yeah. existing chemistry with Henry Cavill as well, you could actually believe Batman and Superman were friends if Army Hammer was Batman. I mean, the rumor for ages is that Army Hammer is the the Green Lantern choice. So we'll, we'll see whether that that ever comes to pass. But I, I mean, I'm shocked that a man whose name is Army Hammer and looks like Army Hammer does isn't a superhero yet. It's yeah. surely only a matter of time before one of them snaps him up. Um, James, who is your ideal lineup in the next Justice League movie? Okay, so we know when they make Justice League movies, they like to do it to spin characters out into their own franchises. So my pitch is replace the entire cast of this film with entirely new heroes who've not been used before. Um, so I would have Batwoman, uh, probably the John Stewart, Green Lantern, Swamp Thing, Booster Gold, Zatanna, Shazam, and Power Girl. Are they alongside the existing heroes or is this a new team? No, entirely new team. Okay. <laughs> and I guess they're fighting like mm, Harley Quinn. <laughs> Is that the version from this universe or, or a brand new Harley Quinn? No, yeah, same Harley Quinn. And Deadshot, if he's, you know, if if Will Smith isn't too busy making Bright. <laughs> With David Ayer, who is, yeah. who, is ne- who is now saying that, you know, Netflix is the place to work, you know, not like at DC where you... Yeah, and next he's going to be like, YouTube is the place to work, and then he's going to be like, community like cinema, Netflix. that's that's the thing. <laughs> iPhones, it's all iPhones again. <laughs> It's funny, but I actually do have a lot of sympathy for the way he was treated at DC. I thought, I thought that Bright was a parody because it had Will Smith punching a fairy. <laughs> yeah, that was just that was that was an experience getting that trailer before and knowing nothing about it beforehand, seeing that trailer before Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, guys, you know how I normally like to, you know, come up with my own pitch and, and you know, tell you who what my answer to the question would have been. I'm not going to do that this time. Instead, I'm going to say what I think the answer will be, like who will be the lineup in the next Justice League movie that is released in cinemas. And I think that's going to be Lego Batman, Lego Superman, Lego Green Lantern, <laughs> Lego Flash, Lego Cyborg, because there is no fucking way that we get another Justice League movie before they get to the Lego version. <laughs> <laughs> So that's my prediction. Um, the win goes to Seb, just because <laughs> James came up with lots of random characters that I was just they're like, all, I don't think they're you... all good. I'm sure they're all good. To be but fair, they did... were all good, and they were all ones that James actually likes. So he, James actually did the my type answer for this, given that it's a DC <laughs> one, and, and I did the I can't think of anything. Let's give a joke. Answer. I would. I would like to say I also specifically chose people who would cover a variety of threats. Like there's no expertise overlap. There's not like Martian Manhunter and Power Girl. There's only one superpowered flying alien on that team. I feel like you didn't communicate that entirely in your. I mean, it's not my fault Maybe. if the audience doesn't pick up on it. What's, no, what, hang on, hang on. What's what, what's what's Booster Gold's unique thing that he brings to the team? He's a time traveler. He's a time traveler, see. Seb. Ah, no, 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 no. He time travels to get to where he is. Yeah. He's not regularly a time traveller. Yeah, he he's, have time he's from the future. He has knowledge no, he, of the future, unlike all the other characters. <laughs> I, I can't believe I have to explain this to you, of all people. All of Booster Gold's <laughs> powers are things that he's nicked from a superhero museum. By his very nature, everything that Booster Gold can do is something that another superhero can do. Let's see him do what Swamp Thing does. 
It's been a long time since we heard anything about the Booster Gold and Blue Beetle movie stuff, isn't it? That's probably for the best. I mean, I would still like to see a, a good um, Blue Beetle and, and Booster Gold movie, but um, maybe when when Brahmaka Bendis comes to DC and writes the Jaime Reyes Blue Beetle, they'll they'll want to make a movie out of it. I mean, we've been joking for so long about all the other studios that are going to make movies that or that aren't going to make movies. It looks like Gambit's going to happen. You know, it looks like Silver and Silver and Black's going to. It looks like a but Venom's literally in production. Yeah, but Morbius isn't going to happen, so we've got that. Thing, <laughs> but I do wonder whether maybe we just need to like DC just throw out so much stuff that we just we're like, oh, well, I guess it, if it if it comes about, it comes about. Do you think we ever see Joss Whedon's Batgirl? I mean, Joss Whedon's been brought in here as the <laughs> like replacement. That was to <laughs> yeah, I just I just can't see a world where that exists now. I can't see a world where a, a bunch of these exist. Ah, oh, it'll be fun. I mean, we're definitely not going to see all those Joker movies. I can tell you that for free. But I don't know which. I don't know which one we will see. Lego Joker again. Lego Joker is my prediction. Oh no, because he was the worst thing about that film. But still, go back to our podcast to find out why I don't like Lego Joker. It's the teeth, isn't it? It's the teeth. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay, um, but that's it for this week's podcast. Uh, before I get into the end spiel, uh, Seb, you have, gosh, you've had a spin-off of your own, haven't you? Yes, um, in the in the, I'll say unlikely, but it's it is quite popular. In the unlikely event that there's any crossover between people who like comic book movies, thus listen to this podcast, and who like the hit NBC sitcom The Office. Um, I've started a new podcast uh, called The People Person's Paper People, which will make sense if you've actually seen the show. Uh, I'm going back and watching The Office from the very beginning and doing uh, a kind of 30, no more than 30 minute solo podcast on each episode and playing in clips so that it's not just my voice for the whole 30 minutes. Um, it's kind of, you could listen to it if you're, if you are a newbie, you could watch the show along with it, but it is, I, I do kind of talk about the episode because it's a rewatch of something I've watched many times. So it's kind of talking about it in the context of, of what's to come and the show as a whole and looking back on how it works, especially in those early seasons. Um, so if you like The Office, uh, you might want to give that a listen. Um, I did the first couple of episodes as a pilot and a few people listened to it and said, yeah, this is all right. So I'm at least carrying on and doing the whole first season. Um, and again, if, if a few more people listen to it and go, yeah, that's all right, then, um, I will just carry on and do it as a, as a long-term thing. Um, so that's, yeah, people, persons, paper, people. Um, you can find it at people, persons, paper, is it? <laughs> edit this because I'm not sure which pit is in. No, the no, URL. leave this in. <laughs> no, we definitely need to leave yeah. this in. <laughs> no, yeah, I did leave the, the off the URL. So you can find it at people, persons, paper, people.podbean.com or if it's easier to remember P4 underscore podcast on Twitter. Um, and yeah, if you if you like hearing me talk about things that I like, then uh, go and give it a listen. I had no so idea many. you were such a big Ricky Gervais fan. <laughs> so he many wrote peas. one episode and is an executive producer. Actually, to be fair, he Gervais turns up a few times, though, doesn't he? couple of times and the episode that him and merchant wrote is one of the best episodes of the show look i i discussed the conflict of my relationship <laughs> with ricky gervais and his work in the podcast itself so yeah <laughs> good to know um is there any other admin we need to see i forget patreon okay well so we'll we'll stick that in there yeah Okay, uh, well, if you're enjoying this show, uh, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice. And you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Um, and James, we have some people from 
Patreon, some paper, no, not, not paper people, just standard people <laughs> who would like to thank. Yep. Some Patreon people. Uh, yeah, I'd like to thank recent pledges, uh, Nicholas Rollins, uh, Jason Smedley, and Brendan Rowan. Um, and I just wanted to remind everyone as well that if you do subscribe to our Patreon, we are running monthly competitions at the moment where you can win actual new, like, crap that I've got lying around. Uh, <laughs> by which I mean I've done some unopened action figures and I think the next one is going to be a book that I was sent to review. Um, so that'll be fun. And I've also got some uh, Superman comics that um, I'm, I've cleared out of my long box because I needed some space. So <laughs> we were going to. Ch- what I think what we're going to do is chuck them in as a bonus prize for the first person who who gets the the main prize and would also like some comics. Yeah, so and also <laughs> if you don't want them, we won't throw them in. But in the first person who does, we will throw. I them will in. also be raffling off the uh, actual Aquaman wristband that I got free from the Odeon and wore while I watched <laughs> Justice League. Wow. Um. <laughs> Also on Patreon, we have, uh, since we last spoke, which I think was a little while ago that we did a Patreon update because James was, oh no, James, you were on Ragnarok, it was incredible as you weren't on. Anyway, we've smashed through not one but two of our um, separated by $10 targets for bonus episodes. Uh, So uh, the first one means that James uh, is doing, and I think has already recorded uh, a bonus episode, ranking the entire MCU so far. Um, so it might be fun to listen back to previous podcasts and see if you can guess what that order is before James actually... <laughs> How much my it. opinion has changed with time. Yes. And uh, the second target means that I have to do an episode explaining every major continuity reboot that DC Comics have done in the last 17 years. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's going to be so a really helpful... Gonna be a it's going to be a helpful resource <laughs> for them, I think. Yeah. Someone should. Uh, so those, those bonus episodes are exclusive to Patreon backers. Um, so uh, if you if you want to hear them, if you like the sound of them, uh, feel free to sign up to the Patreon so that you can hear them. James's one will be up soon. I'm going to aim to get my one done um, before Christmas as well. It might take me until then just to actually get around to, <laughs> to describing them all. But that one will be on there. And I think we're about 7 or $8 away from an episode where Joe... Uh, has to try and make sense of the DCEU, taking a detailed look at the announced and rumoured plans for the movies <laughs> and how it might all fit together, which I think has probably somewhat changed in premise since Justice League. <laughs> Jesus Christ, um, when, did, when did I agree to that? <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago. And um, we've got, we've got some, some further ones beyond that will involve uh, James talking about his top Marvel crossovers and me talking about my top DC crossovers. So, uh, And then... If, if we somehow manage to hit all of those, we'll stick a load more uh, possibilities for bonus episodes as well. So if you'd like to hear us doing more bonus episodes, then uh, come and give us money on Patreon, and it helps to keep this thing going. Yeah, and I will just, at this point, throw in some podcast admin. Um, apologies for the lack of minisodes over the last couple of weeks, uh, or over the last month, basically. Um, I have unhelpfully started a job uh, in the last couple of months where I work in uh, marketing in TV and radio marketing um, in the build-up to Christmas, uh, which means I've been working very long days and have struggled to uh, actually sit down and read the comics and keep up with the comic book news. Like, I keep, people keep, like, I get, I get texts like, oh, what do you think about that? And I was like, God, I'm, I, I don't know. I've just slept and worked. That's all I've done. Uh, so I am... Um, I am going to do all of those eventually. We we're potentially going to be tweaking our Minnesota plan though in the in the upcoming weeks. So we will have regular content, but uh, maybe it's slightly different format. 
And it's yeah. very nearly time for our end of year awards, which I'm sure we're all looking forward to enormously. <laughs> I can't wait for our end of year awards. I, I think we're going to have a full on fight about the best movie of, uh, the best new movie potentially. <laughs> there's lots of, there's lots of fun stuff to get to. Uh, and who will, I mean, who will win the Howard T. Duck Award for Best Bad Movie this year? <laughs> Which I think is my new my new favourite category. <laughs> Could be this, actually. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, very possibly. Well, one nominee confirmed. Nice. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I it's think... not going to be Amazing Spider-Man 2, is it? Was that this year? Oh, God. Yeah, no, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. It's been a long, it's been a long year, you guys. Okay. <laughs> Uh, what, what else What else is left to be said I know what's left to be said you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com and you can get in touch via Facebook on Twitter at cine underscore verse or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com thanks for listening and we'll see you next week goodbye goodbye You look at them and see the defenders of the world. All I see is my dad wearing tights. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Sky High. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm-hmm.